Welcome back to He's a Giant, a pod about all things college football and all things Giants football. I'm Sal, here with my co-host Monty. Monty, what's going on, man? What's going on, Sal? Um, you know, we finished our position previews and we got uh, some other stuff coming for you guys. I know we were thinking about doing a mock draft this week, but um, the Giants kind of threw off the, the draft order on us with what we wanted <laughs> to go talk about. They ruined it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were def- we were in uh, going into the game against Washington. We were the Giants were sitting in the second position in the draft, uh, firmly in position to take one of the top two quarterbacks. And we were thinking, all right, we're going to do a whole top thirty-two mock, try to play it out. Uh, but they won. Congratulations, I guess. Yeah, um, <laughs> to the Giants. I don't know. The players, I, I guess. Uh, congratulations to you guys. Uh, but with the, with the win, the Giants fall from the second spot to the fifth spot in the draft pecking order. Um, I believe right now the order is the Bears have the first pick via Carolina, and I think Arizona has the second pick. Yep. And then I believe it's about, I think it's New England and the Bears again, something like that, yep. right? One, two, three, yep, four. The order. And the Giants sitting at fifth. So uh, we decided to change it up. And instead of doing a mock draft, I think it's more valuable to talk about what the Giants can do from this point forward. Like, if this is how things end with the fifth overall pick, what are the Giants' options in this draft upcoming, um, assuming they want to try to get a quarterback, and how we might play this out if we were the general manager going through the scenario, and the same draft order that exists today is what, what happens on draft day. So. Um, yeah. Before we get into that, I just want to thank everybody for all the uh, the support and all of the views. Uh, we appreciate you guys. All the views to the quarterback episodes were incredible. The, the, the new subscribers, welcome to the show. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy what we're going to be doing. Uh, we're obviously done with our position reviews, but please feel free to go back to our YouTube video log or our pods on Apple and Spotify where we have all of the sort of It's sort of a combination of summer scouting and fall scouting of like the individual position groups, our top five, and some sleepers. Uh, It's meant to be a bit of a repository and database of these player reviews that you can go back and look into. And uh, you can use the timestamps on YouTube to find the players you want to review. And those are available Uh, on Spotify and Apple as well. So wherever you're doing it, use the timestamps. That's what they're there for. Absolutely. And, you know, we're not going to hit on every top five player correctly because when we did it they were kind of viewed as consensus and things changed during the season but i think we covered a lot of the top players coming up in this draft that will probably be in the top 100 um and you're going to see a lot of those guys and their names bandied about in some way shape or form um some guys have risen that were that did not make our list some guys have fallen and we're going to get to all those people but you can use those uh those episodes to review back um we do have some interesting stuff that we're thinking about doing going uh, you know, further into the season, heading towards draft season, uh, we'll get, <clears throat> we'll keep you guys filled in on those things, including mock drafts, um, but more player reviews, mock drafts, all sorts of things. But I think it's a worthwhile exercise at this point, knowing where the giant season has gone, to sit back and say, "All right, we are in week twelve. The Giants are three and eight. Um, they haven't had their buy yet." They're firmly out of contention for a playoff spot. They're not officially eliminated yet, but that's essentially not going to happen. And I think we all know that we have a very tenuous quarterback situation going into next year. So the priority in both of our minds, and I think the minds of a lot of Giant fans, is to try to find a way to get a quarterback in this upcoming draft that we have been telling you guys 
and have shown you guys is strong at quarterback. So with that in mind, the Giants are picking fifth, and we wanted to play out a couple of scenarios to see how it would potentially go, you know, how it would be handled by the Giants. So <clears throat> the first, you know, the first scenario, and I'm going to throw this at you, Monty, is before we assume we're picking fifth, what are are there any available scenarios left that the Giants can find their way back into the top two? So this is not so much of a complex issue. And what are those scenarios? Yeah. And so that's the, obviously the ideal scenario. And, you know, for the people who are like, we lost the Washington game, like it's ruined. We don't have a chance at Caleb Williams or Drake May. Let's halt, halt it a little. He's bit. talking about me, by the way. He's talking <laughs> about me. Halt, yeah, don't, been, don't jump out a window yet, <laughs> Sal. Okay. <laughs> I'm in a very dark place right now, but go ahead. I'll but listen. It's look, we always had all the ways I kind of was looking at this. We always had a shot to win one of these games and still have a good shot to get that. Probably not, not the first anymore, but the second overall pick and draft first still possible. It's just less likely. Um, and there's ways for that to happen. The most important thing of that is the giants need to lose out. So we kind of had one game to give. I mean, I on the bright side, it's better to give that game to Washington than it would be to a game like this week versus the New England Patriots, where we desperately need them to win a game. And them beating us gives that win. So that's a positive of this, but that we need to lose this week if you want a, a top two pick. If you want a top two pick, that's just really how it goes. This week means everything. Um, I'm going to pull it up because I forgot. I forgot to already. I put it to you earlier. So. I can give you the numbers. Yeah, no, I ahead. can give you the numbers. Give it. So, um, because I remember it off the top of my head. So, I think it was based on the ESPN stats, basically calculating the Giants' odds of landing a top two pick based on the outcome of this one game, and it's a dramatic shift. So, if the Giants lose the game this week against the New England Patriots then by the end of this weekend, they will have a 47% chance of having a top two pick. So basically, coin flip to get to a top two pick, which sounds like, you know, not great. But if you think about it, that number just keeps going up and up and up as the weeks go by. If you if you mount losses, essentially, yep. right? which, which if you look at the giant schedule, which we'll get into is is certainly possible. However, the flip side of that is if the Giants win this game against the New England Patriots, they have an 11% chance. Of landing a top two pick, which is, I mean, a one in nine chance, essentially. Um, that's tough. <laughs> that yeah. is tough. You need win. You know, it, wow. yeah, that, so that, it, for that scenario, if, if the Giants happen to win this game, then essentially heaven and earth would have to move in terms of not just things in their control, but things out of their control to land them in a top two spot. So the bottom line is, if they lose this game to New England, they're kind of back in control of their destiny. I know it sounds weird to say that about losing, but that's the reality. If you lose this game, then you don't need a lot of other ancillary things to happen. If you just keep losing, odds are you're going to find yourself in the top two. Yep. But if you win this game, it becomes a very, very difficult path to get to a top two. So that's sort of what's at stake in this game. As as you can tell, that's a that's a big shift. Yep. So playing tankathon here, there is, you know, essentially losing out. That's the first step. And then there's three teams right now we essentially need to, lo to lose one game. That's the New England Patriots. So right off the bat, if you lose 
if you do your job and you lose, that's one. They got they get their their win. Then you have mm-hmm. Chicago Bears and the Arizona Cardinals. Chicago Bears and the Arizona Cardinals play each other this year. So that is a guaranteed one win for one of them. So essentially at that point, you just need whoever loses that matchup to also get a win. Um, I, I pulled up the schedules of the Cardinals and the Bears for the rest of the year. So I'll kind of we'll just go through each team at a time and we'll kind of talk about if they're winnable or not real quick. So Cardinals versus Rams. I think that's winnable for Cardinals. What about you? Yeah. Kyler Murray back 50 50. Uh, where is that game, by the way? Do we know? I didn't write Homer away, but I'll tell you what. I'll pull up the Cardinals schedule as you talk and we'll. we'll and you Sounds can good. It. Um, um, Cardinals Steelers. What do you think about that one? So the Steelers just fired Mike uh, Matt Canada today, yep. um, and that's a good football team. I don't. That's a tough one for the Cardinals to win. It's a winnable game, um, and that game's in Pittsburgh. By the way, Rams at Cardinals. So the game okay. is uh-huh. this Sunday in in Arizona. Uh, next Sunday, the Cardinals are at Pittsburgh. So I think that's going to be tough. They're probably going to be a good, you know, five six point underdogs in that game at minimum. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think they could win it, but I yeah, I don't think they'll be favorites. Um, my. No. Former Giants coach uh, Mike Sullivan actually is going to be a huge part of that, being the OC there now. So that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And we have 49ers. You don't need to talk about that much. That's that's most no. likely a loss outside of it just being a division game. Um, then you have Cardinals at the Bears. That's very much a winnable game. Yep. So one of them have to win. So that's a positive. Then you have uh, Cardinals, Cardinals at Eagles. Yep. Cardinals at Eagles. And that's probably a loss. Mm-hmm. And then the Cardinals at home to finish out the season against the Seahawks. And that might be an interesting game where the Seahawks are playing for their playoff lives and Cardinals may be playing spoiler. That's yep. a, and a, a, a division, division game. games like that. Division games like that at home where you're playing spoiler, all bets are off depending on how Kyler Murray's been playing, you know, hundred percent. So, and Kyler's the, playing for his first career at that point in some senses. Right. And, and so, I mean, all you need is one Cardinals win here out of these six games. It's kind of hard to see them not win at least one game. Realistically, they're probably winning about two, maybe three of these games yeah. down the stretch. Yep. And then then we have the Bears. And the Bears have a pretty light schedule at all. Again, a lot of division games. Bears uh-huh. play the Vikings this week. I don't know if you have that home or away yet. Huh? That's a that's an away game at Minnesota. So that's a tough game. Minnesota's playing really well, but it's 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 a division game. Um, but it's on the road. I would say that's most likely a Minnesota win. Yeah, but it's certainly a possible Bears win. Yep. But they played the Lions uh, then, well, and the Lions are a better team than the Vikings. So who knows? Um, you never know. They have the Lions again the week after that at home in Chicago. So that's interesting. Yep. They played them close last time. Maybe they match up well. We'll see if that was a one-off or if they could get it this time. Um, they have the their Bears are on December seventeenth. They're at Cleveland to play the Browns. Like, this is interesting. Yeah, without with four, without Watson. Right, four weeks ago, I said there's no way the Bears have a shot at this game, but without a quarterback, and now I guess they've turned to DTR now to be their starting quarterback. Right, so mm-hmm. um, you know who we both like, but he's a rookie playing in this game. Um, if you got Justin Fields playing, hopefully a high level for the Bears. That's a game that I think the Bears can win. I think that's the one. I think between the first two games, they can, you know, against at the Vikings, home against the Lions, I can definitely see the Bears finishing that stretch one and one. They could go 0 2, but I can see them squeezing out a division win there. And Bears have been playing really good defense lately. So, right. And then you got the Bears at the Browns. And I can actually, I would, I would not be shocked if the Bears went into Cleveland and won that game. Yeah, I wouldn't either. 
Um, Bears Cardinals, as we talked about already. Mm-hmm. Um, Bears Falcons. And then they are, and Bears are at home against the Falcons. The Falcons are playing terrible. Yeah, that's a very and, winnable and, game. And again, Bears defense is playing well. So like. Um, and then the, the Bears close out the season at Green Bay against the Packers. Again, a very winnable game against fairly weak Green Bay team that has already racked up some wins, but that is not a very, it's a good defense, but not a good football team. So again, for as weak as our schedule is, these other teams have pretty weak schedules. I mean, it's still a lot to worry about trying to get that. This is why I'm still like, you need to lose out because yeah, all that sounds great where it's like, oh, maybe we could win another game, but you look at like New England Patriots are not going to be favored against anybody other than us for the rest of the year. Carolina Panthers aren't going to be favored against anybody for the rest of the year. Like you can't rely on those teams to get another win. So that plays into the top two pick thing. So yeah, I feel if the giants lose out, I am very confident they will have, they will have a top two pick. I not sure they lose out, but if they do, I'm very confident they'll have a top two pick. I, I, I think, and I think statistically speaking, you lose this game, it's 47%. What would happen to the model, as, you know, for people who follow like statistical models, is as you move more towards that end goal and in that direction, those probabilities keep changing upward, upward, upward. Right? You ever, I don't know if you guys watch the election needle for those who are politics, uh, you know, viewers. Uh, have you ever seen the New York Times elections needle yeah. that Nate Cohen puts up? It just it drives you crazy on election night. You know, it's going left, it's going right. Um, but what ends up happening is as precinct, you know, like there's a probability of victory. And then as precincts close and election stations close that move in the direction, if they move in the direction of the needle, then as the night goes on and as time goes by, the needles just keep shifting, 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 shifting in one direction. The same thing will be true of probability of, of getting that top two pick. The Giants get to 47. They're basically right down the middle of the needle every week that goes by that they don't stray from that. Meaning if they don't win a game, that needle starts moving to plus 50%, plus 60%. It's going to go like that. Yeah. So, and basically uh, the thing with the Giants now yeah. is where we're about, like we were the number one favorite to get the first overall pick a week ago. Like, and we're still high favorites for, you know, as you read off earlier to be picking high. But I think the main difference was we have six games left. And we basically had a win to give up previously and still would have kind of been positioned. And but now you still have six weeks to win football games and it would be, you know, you already used your one win. Now we'll see what happens. Like you could lose out and each time you lose a game, like you said, your odds are going to higher because there's going to be less games to play at this point with just a lot of games with not a lot of wins to give. Yeah, basically, each week that goes by that you don't win a game, the probability of ruining the outcome for yourself goes down. And the probability of achieving success, if you want to quantify success in this venture, in this uh, journey as getting a top two pick, goes up. That's It's just a, it's a time issue, right? Yep. If you run out of opportunities to, lo- to lose your chance of getting a top two pick as you keep losing games. So essentially, the primary scenario is if the Giants lose against the, the Patriots, they simultaneously dramatically increase their chances of themselves getting a top two pick and essentially destroying the Patriots' chance of getting yep. a top two pick. Yeah, because like I think 9%. their odds fall to like 13. Yeah, they they fall to like 9%. And they're only at like 30-something percent if they win the game, actually. They're yeah. not like a lock to get a top two Weird. pick. Yeah, but I think that has to do with things like strength of schedule and yeah. their own remaining schedule. So I did pull up the Patriots' remaining schedule just for the sake of completion yeah. of this of this exercise. Obviously, they have the Giants. 
in New York this week. But the Patriots then are home against the Chargers on Sunday, December 3rd. They are away at Steel at the Pittsburgh on December 7th. Um, they're home against the Patriots on December 18th. Against who? They are the Patriots. They're Patriots um, are home against... I'm sorry. They're home against the uh, Chiefs. Excuse me. Um, they're sorry. Uh, and then they're 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 at Denver on December 24th. Okay, Denver. And a... they're at yeah, and they're at Buffalo on December 31st. So, you know, that's a, the obviously the Bills game is the one remaining division game. That is the last game of the season. It's in Buffalo. Buffalo will absolutely be fighting for their playoff lives at that point. Yep. That's tough to count. That's tough to be a win, I think. Um, I'd be shocked. I mean, if that, if Sean McDermott loses that game and they miss the playoffs, he should be fired on the spot. That's a whole other issue. Yeah. But um, assuming that's a loss, working backwards, the game at Denver might be the most winnable game um, here. Right. Um, other than us. Um, they, I don't They're expect them well. to win even at home. Right. Denver's playing well, but that's More a defensive right. battle right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the game against the Chiefs at home, unlikely to be a victory, although you never know. Uh, at Pittsburgh, could be a win for for the Patriots. We will see what's left of the the Pittsburgh team. Um, at home against the Chargers is interesting because the Chargers are playing bad. Yeah, Staley stinks, and Bel- Belichick yeah, so, still is Belichick. And of course the Giants. So I would say that if if they're able to to beat the Giants this week, they might have out of the remaining six games, a total of, I would say, two victories left in them. Yep. You know? I wouldn't be surprised if they just have one, but this is the one they have to get to knock themselves out of contention for a top-two pick, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but if they got two, they'd be completely out of it. I wouldn't feel good about having to count on the Patriots to win a, win a game. Right. Thankfully, the only game you need them to win is this one. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that that's the thing. The Giants have their own destiny in their own hands. In, in some uh, sense, sure. Right. I know this sounds dirty to talk about like this, but this is the reality. I, I know. I know people are probably, some people are probably cringing and that's okay. You're allowed to, you're allowed to not want to lose. That's totally okay. You know, those talking scenarios here with it. The people who are cringing are probably people who don't care for our pod anyway. So, it's <laughs> uh, you know, I think the people who are loyal listeners of our pod, as we saw by the number of people who watch the quarterback episode are firmly in the quarterback business right now. Yeah. So, so um, that, yeah, that, that, that's the first scenario. So what happens if, the Giants don't lose that. What are the other scenarios? So, yeah, I think the the first one I wanted to talk about here, and here's there is a camp that's very um, for this being an option. And I understand where they're coming from, but and that is potentially trading back up into the top two picks because the idea is go get your guy. We've seen Joe Shane come back up for his guy before. Like, there's that whole argument, which – don't get me wrong. If we play ourselves out of the top two, I'll be begging for that and hoping for that. But the one thing I do want to say before we kind of dive into this and think a little bit more about it is teams don't typically trade out of these elite quarterback prospects. It does not happen often. The only recent scenarios I can really think of it is uh, RG3. I think you consider an elite quarterback prospect that got traded out of. And Eli Manning, who forced his way out of San Diego. And like yeah. I wouldn't consider Wentz or Goff that like it they were pretty they would go those guys were I wouldn't consider Bryce Young. I think those guys were all pretty standard top quarterback picks. They were good, but they weren't a right. 
Right. Right. Um, it's tough to see teams pick out. So the scenario we're talking about now is obviously the Giants have the season has ended. They've they've won too many games. They're somewhere out of the top two. Most likely they're going to be picking somewhere between three and three and six, something like that. It's unlikely they'll fall lower than five or six. Probably five is their. I would guess five is probably their realistic floor, uh, which is where they're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, barring them winning a bunch of games, and that's obviously a scenario that nobody really expects right now. We'll see. Um, but somewhere between three and five. So here's how a trade up would work in theory. Number one, the top two teams with a pick would have to include at least one team that is firmly satisfied at their current quarterback position. Yep. Out of the teams we mentioned, the only one I can think of realistically being in that place is the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Um, now, some some people think that well Justin Fields can win his job back. That's certainly true. Anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, I think Justin Fields would have to go on an absolute torrid streak to Great. finish off the season and show that he's taken a leap. Right. He has to show that I've I'm here. I'm arrived. I'm I've put all my my potential together, and I'm now in a you know a high level passer and an elite runner, and I'm a dual threat quarterback at the highest level. There's zero reason for you to move up move on from me. <laughs> Um, if, if he did that, sure. They would say, well, we're not going to, they may say we don't want to risk an unknown, but number one, that's a high bar mm-hmm. that Justin Fields has yet to achieve to be really fair. He's played better this year, but he hasn't achieved that level yet. And number two, it, it may not matter because the timing of this may not work out. Right. Uh, the Justin Fields is in his third year. The bears have to decide on his fifth year option after this season. Yep. Um, and unless he's absolutely convinced them that like he's the guy, they're probably not going to want to have to decide on the fifth year option. I think they'd rather just trade him. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, and, yeah. And ultimately, Fields doesn't really control his own destiny, like a like a like a Daniel Jones did, for example, where he played himself out of those quarterbacks. Like, comes down to the Panthers, and they're gonna play them into a top two pick more than likely. Right. The more logical, the more logical outcome is that the Bears, if they're sitting with a top two pick, say, "We like you, Justin, but we have a chance to reset the whole rookie pay scale, um, get maybe a better prospect in the, you know, along the way, and trade you for draft capital to help reset this organization." Yeah, I mean that. On one end, you can just take a new, pro- a higher end quarterback prospect for nothing. You don't have to trade anything for it. You get to trade him and get maybe back second round pick and then some for him, something like that. Rebuild your roster and you've pushed the the financial hit of him backwards. It's almost too good to pass up. And right, as a GM. Yeah. And we're talking about two teams here with the Cardinals and the Bears who already traded back last year and have a haul of picks and kind of they already did that. Like it's less pressure of building picks. They both have a ton of picks to to work with already. Right. They don't have to give up that first pick to get more picks. Yeah. They can trade and they have fields who they can give up to get the whatever additional picks they want and get financial flexibility. Um, I find it hard to believe the Bears are not going to take a quarterback. I really do. I, I think that the most likely outcome is they're going to say in the media and spin like they have been that we're sold on Justin Fields. We're not going to trade him. And I think they're just trying to drive up his price mm-hmm. and send the signal that, like, hey, if you want to make us an offer for one of these picks, let's hear what you got. But what they're, I think, signaling is that 
either we're going to take a gigantic offer for Fields or we're going to take a monstrous offer for the pick. Yeah. And I don't see a scenario where they really easily let go of that pick. The Cardinals are a little different. I, I think the, the Kyler Murray situation is very different. Number one, he's a more proven quarterback than Justin Fields already. Um, he has a year under his belt where he was performing at an MVP-type caliber. Uh, and he's coming off injury, he's looking good, and he's under contract. That's a key part of this. He's already paid, yep. and they're going to be eating a ton of dead cap if they move him. He's young. He's already good. Not saying he's great, but he's good. He's under contract. If he plays well down the stretch, and he's already beginning to play well, right? The last two, the two games he's played, he's played well. One win, one one close loss. Um, it's it's just it's easy to see the Cardinals say, "We're we've already committed to Kyler. We've already paid him, and he's good." Yep. And he's healthy now. Let's trade this pick and get a haul and build around him. I can 100% see Especially that. Especially if they don't get the the choice of their first QB. Like if right. if they had one QB raked above the other, I think it's easier to say, we have Kyler, let, let's ride it out. Um, yep. But yeah, man, I to, to what you said about, uh, you know, the media like uh, going on, there was a report from Ian Rappaport that the Bears quote unquote have to be blown away by the QBs to take one early. That is the report going out right around now. There is also that is smoke. (laughs) Yep. And there's also reports right now that the Cardinals want to build around Kyler. So we'll see. I I will. Ultimately, there's a lot of time left. Um, I'll say to what it's going to take to pay to come up for these guys in some senses. Um, You got to think if these teams want to take one of these quarterbacks, it's going to be hard to get them off. You think of the Cincinnati Bengals in 2020. Reportedly, the Miami Dolphins wanted to come up for Joe Burrow. That was their guy. And they had three first-round picks in that draft. And they reportedly offered all three first-round picks. And the Bengals told them no. And something to keep in mind, like, we can't... I know probably most of us don't want to offer, like... Four or five first round picks. I don't think that's anybody really a school wants to do, but we legitimately can't by NFL rule. Like you can only trade first round picks three years in advance, and we don't have any multiple first round picks. So we can legitimately our max amount of firsts we can offer is three. I don't think we right. would even offer three, but like regardless, that's we that is the max. So like it, I don't think we could get a lot of these teams off it if they decide that they want one of these quarterbacks. Well, let's just talk about it, though. Let's just say the Cardinals are, okay. Let's say the Giants are sitting at five, and they do their homework, and they say, we're good with either Caleb or Drake May. We love these guys. We'll take whichever one we can get our hands on. Bears are drafting at one, and they say, okay, we're we're drafting Caleb Williams, just for the sake of argument. Um, I think they're actually going to take Drake May, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, But anyway, let's say they take Caleb. Drake May sitting there, too. Cardinals are sitting there and they're legitimately dangling the pick and saying, you know, we like Kyler, um, but we want to build around Kyler. So we're, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to just take someone here. We're going to trade this pick and try to get down a few spots, not too far, but we want to pick up assets. And the giants call and say, we want to move up to two from five. Um, and the Cardinals are now thinking, well, who can we get at five? Right. Cause if the giants are coming up, they're coming up for Drake may. That leaves on the board Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr., who is pound for pound of the best prospect in the class, at you know potentially to go at three, depending on who's drafting there. 
Olufashanu, the best left tackle in the class, and the second best left tackle in the class, which is uh, Joe Alt from Notre Dame. Yep. Or, Those guys are your realistic, or a guy like Brock Bowers, or a guy like yeah. uh, Malik Neighbors, you know, the wide receiver mm-hmm. from LSU. These are the guys that are still there on the board, right? Uh, and on, from a defensive standpoint, there are edge rushers. I don't think any of them would be viewed as top five type guys. Um, but there are. I mean, if if they want, you know, we'll get to them. But but those are your those are your real blue chippers, right? <clears throat> and now we we saw the Cardinals trade back from two last year, and then back up to grab their left tackle in Paris Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's playing right. They tackle. don't have. I'm sorry, the right tackle. They don't have their bookends yet, though. So mm-hmm. I can see a scenario in which the Giants say, come down to five, we'll give you something. And the Cardinals take that something. They go to five, and they take whichever tackle is left. Because you would presume Marvin Harrison Jr. would be off the board. But one of the two tackles will be there at five. Agreed. And if Johnson is playing right tackle, and he's playing it well, you grab Jawalt or Old Bashanu, you plug him in, and now you've got your bookend tackles, you've got your quarterback, and you've got additional draft assets both from last year and this year to build around Kyler Murray. So I think that's a con- that's a conceivable scenario to see play out from the en- from the Cardinals' end. What will it cost the Giants in your mind to go from five to two in that scenario? So, starting off by the trade value chart, just start there as a base. So you look at it, and the fifth pick is seventeen hundred, and the second pick is sixteen hundred. So. That, that's where you're looking at the base. Something I want to add into that before we even kind of like start calculating this. There was a great piece by Daniel Jeremiah last year. And he, when, you know, he was talking about the potential of, you know, like the Colts trading up, for example, from four to two. Very comparable situation. And they did a calculation of how much teams have paid to come up for a quarterback which is always a premium to come up, pay for a quarterback. There's multiple teams that are looking to do it. The values more. There's a big premium mm-hmm. on this. And typically it is 120% of what the normal trade value is. If you're coming up for a quarterback. So in this scenario, the number we're trying to get to is 3,120 points. That's what we're looking to get to. So, oh, and, and what's the second? So that's our goal. What's that fifth pick worth? The fifth pick is worth seventeen hundred, so almost. And we're double. using the you're using the old Jimmy Johnson. Chart, I'm using believe, the right? the draft tech um one right now. I'm not sure they have a twenty. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson. Okay, so I mean, yeah, let's Jimmy just Johnson, that's our point of reference. I think it's the one that majority of people use for those who use the draft chart. So, um, so seventeen hundred. I'm sorry, was it seventeen hundred and? There, well, with 50, the with the hundred and twenty percent, it's three thousand one hundred and twenty. And the fifth pick is worth seventeen hundred. So it's almost okay. double. So, so you've got to make up another fourteen hundred plus points in value, yep. in addition so, to flipping the pick. So what I was looking at, um, I was trying to get a good idea of this. I didn't get a great uh, source of this, but. Basically, I saw people saying just to use a thousand points for future first. So throw future first on there and you are looking at twenty seven hundred. So you're still looking to make up like another five hundred. So your thirty fourth pick is 
560. So you're basically looking, you know, there's other ways to do this. Might be do Seattle and like another couple fourths or something like that. But essentially you're looking at the fifth overall pick, a first next year, and the, or sooner no, it'd be the 37th pick. So 530. So yeah, then you're looking at the 37th pick in the draft. And that's essentially... yeah, so what you're summarizing is basically you go from five to two and you give up five, you give up your you give up your second round pick at thirty seven, and you give up next year's first. That, yeah, and that that's will essentially you, the cost. That and that would be the cost. I will say that while that seems about right, I'm gonna guess that it may cost more than that this year. It's possible. Uh, and the reason I say that is, is that there are many, many quarterback needy teams. Um, I don't know where they're going to land on the draft board because that obviously plays into it and how far these teams necessarily want to come down. Uh, the Giants will probably have an advantage in that way because they're going to be drafting towards the top of the board one way or another. So even if a team wants to move down, the Giants pick is attractive because they can still grab a blue chip prospect and get assets. Yep, exactly. Um, but it may cost, let's just say a little more than that. You may have to throw in another second round pick or it, something like that. In it, this. And we have another one and it's possible, right. but, but I'll say to what we're, you know, we are factoring out your 120% and that is factoring, you know, in the RG three trade, that's factoring all these scenarios where it was also a high price in other drafts move up. So that uh, is baked in to an extent to this. I know it kind of gets outweighed by probably other scenarios where it's less costly, but, um, for the most part, I think that's pretty close. The one other thing I'll say, uh, there's another there's another scenario where I think we it'd be very likely we could move up, and I don't think it would be that expensive. Let me lay it out for you. So sure. let's say the Bears and the Cardinals lose out or close to it, and we lose out, something along those lines. And the order goes... Uh, Panthers or Panthers won, or Panthers lose out and Bears lose out. Let's say Panthers won, Bears two, us three. So Bears, Bears, us, and the Bears obviously aren't going to take two quarterbacks. They're obviously yeah. Then you don't have to give up much at all. Yeah, yeah, and you're going to they are either going to just take Marvin Harrison Jr. or they're going to trade out. And my opinion is that for building for just knowing the bears and also wanting to build around their quarterback. I think they really are going to want to take Marvin Harrison jr. And they're going to have a really hard time moving out of that pick, like bringing themselves to move out of that pick. And I, and I think you're looking at a scenario where if you own that third pick, if that's us owning it, I think we would be in the driver's seat to just be like, Let's just get this done. You can get Marvin Harrison Jr. And the trade that I'm thinking, I can look up exactly what it is, but I'm thinking of uh, the Bears actually did the exact same thing in 2017 and move up from three. They wanted to come up for Mitchell Trubisky. I think they threw two-thirds, and they swapped with uh, the 49ers. And I, I I could very yep. much see a simple, similar trade like that. And that's right. Like it's the equivalent of like two, one second or two thirds, something like that. Yep. Or you say, this is just for the sake of sealing the deal and removing all risk from this scenario. Exactly. The risk being that the team that's behind the giants at four says, 
I'll give up something and the Bears come to the conclusion like we'll just take whatever they're offering and we'll take we'll roll the dice with Marvin Harrison. Yeah, we still and we still uh, need an offensive tackle and they're giving us a, right. a first and a second. Right. And, and 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 that's the risk in that scenario where like it may drive up the price. And the Bears have more needs than just Marvin Harrison. They may want Marvin Harrison, but the the you just don't know how they'll think, right? Like they're they may say we want this guy, but man, the value of going to four is so much better than going to three. Yep. And we'll just we'll just take it. So it, just that is a decision out of their hands. Right. I would say that if the Giants don't land in the top two, you're basically rooting for the Bears to get the top two picks. Yes. That is the best. That's scenario. the most likely. Like we talked about the Cardinals, and I definitely think there is a probably close to 50% chance that if they get one of the, which is really good for elite quarterback. Like it is not normally yeah. a 50% chance a team is willing to trade out. Like that's really good odds. But it is legitimately a hundred percent chance. So they will trade out of that yeah. pick unless, I mean, it's a hundred percent chance that the bears won't take two quarterbacks. The first two pick I'll say that. The, well, well the, the only way they're not trading out is basically nobody calls them to do business for that pick. And the team at four is not willing to make a leap up. The team at five is not, and they're not willing to go below three. And the giants just say, we're not dealing with you. We know you're not going to take a quarterback. So we're just going to sit tight and take, you know, well, yeah, a quarterback I mean, if, at three. If, uh, if polls sits there and goes, you know, bag of donuts, hot dog, pretzel, you know, gold jacket, it takes Marvin Harrison jr. Then <laughs> this is a man who traded the 32nd overall pick for chase. Clayton. Yeah. So you never know. Um, but in that scenario, I think realistically a deal is there to be made and you're just, you're gonna have to give up something just to make sure you secure it. But again, Giving up, you know, Cordell Flott and Josh Azudu for your quarterback is not a lot. Even even giving up way. John Michael Smith's like a late second right. sale, like that sucks and all. I, I like JMS and all, but I'm not worried about it. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to cry over that. Yeah. So that's a, those are good scenarios. All right, so that's the trade off scenario. Obviously, I think if the Giants are picking below five, it becomes hard um, to get up to two it really becomes hard because now you're asking for a huge jump over teams that will be in better position because it's not just where you are. It's the teams that are now ahead of you that have a better draft pick to offer for the trade down. Yeah. And And it takes a team willing to move out. Like we said. Yeah. Um, So those are the trade-off scenarios. There's one before we move on to the non-trade-off scenarios. I think this is an important discussion to have. And I was having this with my friends on a Twitter space earlier. This has been the topic of discussion for a few days. We have seen, um, we've seen evidence, I would say, I would call it evidence, or at least some hints of uh, propaganda being pushed out by the Giants organization, presumably from the John Mara side of things, through his favorite media reporters like Ralph Facchiano and others. Um, I'll name him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had him in a, you had Monty had Facchiano in hell. We're proud of him. Everybody, everybody buy Monty a beer. Yeah, I mean, this, let me just tell you what he was doing. This man was at a wedding. Okay. He was at a wedding in Pittsburgh, completely ignoring his friends and his, and his, and his new bride to sit there and put Ralph Vacchiano in a body bag in the middle of a Saturday afternoon. I was, I was that waiting for was the impressive. wedding. I was in my hotel room, just putting him in a body bag. I was at I was at work and I was leaving work and I, 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 as I was driving I turned on and I heard the space and I heard our friend Ivan Base Seven One Eight for those who don't know 
Oh, you should tune into his spaces. He has the best spaces every day. And he was like, he's reading it. And he's like, Monty, wherever you are, if I was next to you, I'd buy you a beer. And then I was like, what is he talking about? And then I, when I when I got home and I stopped driving, I opened up and I was like, oh, my God, you really had Vacchiano in hell. Um, but anyway, so getting back to the point, um, <laughs> I might have caused a few problems myself on Giants Twitter on Friday. Uh <laughs> Uh, I I was I was doing my morning routine on Friday. I was I was down in my home gym and I was listening. You know, my routine is get up early, get down there, and listen to Giants pods. Usually on most days, I was listening to the Friday episode of Talking Giants, and Bobby Skinner dropped a bombshell uh, that you know he heard through his source. And I do believe Bobby Skinner is fairly well sourced up. He got he that Leonard Williams thing to the fucking pick though. I, I forgot the wording he put out there, but it was something like 45 minutes before the trade was announced, and he said something like, I think a good haul for Leonard Williams would be like a team to Seattle, like a trade to Seattle for like a second and a fifth. Yeah, he wrote something exact, like that. I was like, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's just assume Bobby Skinner has good sources. I think that's a fair assumption. Mm-hmm. And he basically said that he started to inquire about why all these reports are coming out that the Giants may not want to take a quarterback this upcoming draft, and that somebody came to him and essentially said that it's coming from the John Mara side of things and that his perspective is, and the message he's trying to send to Joe Shane is, you already picked your quarterback when you gave him $160 million, which is, you know, that's a, that stings a little to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always a risk when they paid Daniel Jones that that would be the comeback from John Mara. We all know John Mara loves Daniel Jones. I think he would view Daniel Jones' situation from the most forgiving, you know, perspective possible. That hey, he got hurt. He got hurt multiple times. The line was terrible. He lost Andrew Thomas. You just paid him. First one in, last one out. Blah 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 blah. blah all the bullshit, right? That he would try to find any excuse to try to keep Daniel Jones as the main unchallenged quarterback. In any case, it sounds like John Mara is trying to wage a bit of a public campaign to say, hey, we should really think about just keeping Daniel Jones a quarterback and not draft a quarterback. To which my thought process is, if he's waging a public campaign, it means that he may not be willing to take the step of overtly overruling Joe Shane on this, but he wants to garner some support through the press for this in case things break his way. What I mean by that is if the Giants are drafting one or two, you cannot justify under any circumstance not taking a quarterback at one or two. No, they Plain will, and simple. They'll have Joe Shane, Brian Dable, and John Mayer strung up from MetLife. Right. Like they'll there's no universe in which you can really justify that. Not saying it cannot happen. Stupider things have happened twenty eighteen, but it's hard to say that's justifiable in any meaningful way. Like John Merritt has nowhere to turn if the Giants are drafting one or two. Yeah. Like essentially Joe Shane can walk up and say, I'm taking the best player available. Happens to be a quarterback who many are viewing as quote generational. Mm-hmm. I'm taking this guy. That's that. Plus we're drafting one or two. We're shitty, right? We're terrible. And our starting quarterback has two busted discs in his neck, apparently and a torn ACL. And he's a mobile quarterback that relies on his legs. And now we're not sure if he can run. Yep. All that is true. It makes it very, I don't have to give up anything. I don't have to do anything. I just have to walk up to the podium and announce the pick. It's very different if you're drafting three, four, or five. And Joe Shane now has to turn to John Mara and say, listen, I can trade into two. 
That's assuming a team is willing to trade, right? We're not. These are all scenarios where the, there's a there's a trade to be made because there's a chance that there's no trade to be made. We'll get to mm-hmm. that in a second. But there's a chance that there's a trade to be made, and Joe Shea now has to convince John Mara, hey, listen, I can get to two and get one of these two quarterbacks, but I got to give up a first. I got to swap our first this year. I got to give up a second. I got to give up something else. I don't think it's crazy to think John Mara would just turn to Joe Shane and say, wait a minute, not a year ago, you sat here and signed off on a four-year, $160 million quarter uh, deal for our quarterback, of which I guaranteed 80-some-odd million, in, in essence, $100 million or so, uh, depending on when, if and when he gets released from the contract. I signed off on that. That's my money for your quarterback. And now you want me to not only pick up another quarterback, but actually mortgage the future of the Giants and give up their first next year and a second and then some. Is it really hard to see John Marrow just saying, I think that's too much yeah. with Marvin Harrison Jr. sitting on the board, the best prospect in the class potentially. Just take the play or or Ola Vishanu, you know, the lineman. Just take the blue chip player, you know, and- or trade out of the pick and get more picks. But but don't trade up and 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 cost us our future. You may not even have a job next year. I'm about to change. say, and so. like, as much as I think they should trade, I think that much is probably a fair argument. It's like, look, I can't commit to you to, to be here for next draft at this point after how this year's went. So how am I supposed to tell the next GM I let you trade away the first round pick? That's the scenario that sucks, mm-hmm. right? And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because if they don't go and get a quarterback, in my opinion, and they roll with Daniel Jones and he plays like he always plays, these guys are all getting fired after 2024. Yeah. I'm firmly confident about that. This is a bad, bad corner to be in. And this is why we're so firmly like in the corner of please get a top two pick because it not only makes a decision easy, but it relieves... So much less stressful. <laughs> but it really takes Joe Shane and Brian Dable out of a corner that they will find themselves painted in with John Mara. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't convince the man to make the trade. Number uh, one, he's not the only owner. Hmm? They'll have plenty of time to try. They have plenty of time to try, number one. Number two, he's not the only owner. Steve Tisch has to be considered in this, and he will periodically step out of his drug-induced coma to uh, <laughs> to, to, to you know get involved in Giants' decision-making. It's usually when his money's on the line. And a franchise quarterback decision is when your money's on the line. So you know there is that factor. Um but mainly, and this is my call to our friends on, on Giants Twitter and in Giants social media, if you want a quarterback and the Giants find themselves on the outside and the top two picks looking in, and there is potentially a trade to be made, John Mara is prone to, to bully. Yeah. And I think all Giant fans, we saw this with Joe Judge. He got bullied out of keeping Joe Judge. I mean, Joe Judge made it hard for him to be retained. But this is a scenario where it's hard to say no to a quarterback, right? This is the same kind of thing where it's hard to say no to the opportunity to draft a quarterback like this. You might have to get yourselves on Twitter, slash X, Facebook, whatever you guys do, and push back and say, we're not okay with you not going for the quarterback. Go get the damn quarterback. Go get him. Make the trade, John Mara. This is not okay. And he may be bullied into making that trade. Um Yep. But it is a lot more complicated. But that's sort of where I stand on the trade scenario. It's a really interesting topic. And it, I'm praying we're not talking about this by the end of the season because 
our heads will explode talking about the different scenarios you know there's a lot of them we'll go into some or try to touch as many as we can this episode because we're only through like some of this right now but uh but these are the but these are the main yeah this is meat of the bone kind of issues this is going and getting your bona fide elite quarterback prospect and you know but and seeing if that is something possible for this team uh but yeah i think that covers about most of that that part yeah. of the conversation. I will say this, and Bobby Skinner alluded to this on his pod, um, where Justin Fennick said, well, Joe Shane has four and a half months to convince John Mayer that we got to do this. And Bobby Skinner said, yeah, but that's also four and a half months for Daniel Jones to do what he does best, which is get in the building early and go to the gym and work out and show his face and show how he's like a committed player and blah, blah, blah. Um, that, you know, and, and you're, you better believe that if the Giants are in this position, Daniel Jones is assuming he's medically clear to do these things. Will be in the gym at five thirty in the morning, like he apparently goes there to the, in the Giants facility, working out, hanging around the facility, watching tape, and you're going to start seeing films leaked of him throwing the football and looking healthy. Like, hey, he can throw the ball again, right? He's he's running around, you know, like stuff like that's going to start getting leaked. Um, this is going to be an ugly scenario if the Giants don't have a top two pick. But anyway. Let's move on to the next, the next scenario. Sure. The Giants don't have a top two pick, and the top two picks are not for sale. The Bears get one. The Patriots get one. It's game over. Yep. One of them takes Caleb. One of them takes Drake May. Done. Right? Whoever the Patriots head coach is at the end of the year, um, which presumably is not going to be Bill Belichick come draft day, we believe at least. Um. So now the Giants, let's say, are drafting three, four, or five. Okay, the top two guys are off the board. Do the Monty? Do the Giants still have a day one quarterback problem? They still have a day one quarterback problem. That is correct. But how would you how would you handle this? The question is, do they have a day one quarterback that they that's worth taking here? And it's tough, man. It's a tough thing to. To go about. I'll start out by saying this. If they have a quarterback that they think is worth picking here and that they like and value in this area, the quarterback is the most valuable position in football. It is you have a quarterback who is injured with an ACL, has had multiple neck injuries, and your job is on the line at this point and getting the best possible quarterback prospect in here to help saving your job is a lot of definitely could make the, make the case that that is a good case. That is the best way to go. Is just taking them. Uh, I'll say a little bit devil's advocate to that though. The way that I'm looking at this right now with guys like JJ McCarthy, who hasn't necessarily taken that next step over these last couple of weeks. that I hoped he would. Fedor Sanders, who's, I don't think he's been bad, but they haven't let him do anything. He's again been getting killed back there at Colorado and really hasn't yeah. been able to show anything over the last couple weeks. Um, he's been losing football games. At this point, I have a big tear after those top two quarterbacks, and I definitely think you can make a case, especially at three, that... I my quarterback, whoever I take, is gonna be better with Marvin Harrison Jr. and coming back up for one of these guys than just reaching on my favorite 
and then matching him with like Amike Ibuka, who's a really good player, but he's not Marvin Harrison Jr. So there's two sides to this, and there's a lot of trade talk, trade up, trade down stuff in this too. But yeah, there's actually there's actually three sides to this. But I yeah, want to I'll let you finish. And I'll no, it really is three sides. This, but no, I, that's all I have to kind of like set it up. Why, why don't you give me which what your thoughts? Are? Yeah. So so in this scenario, the Giants are drafting somewhere between three and five, three and six, and they were locked out of the first two quarterbacks. Um. So let's just for argument's sake assume we're drafting three. Let's make this easy. Yep. On the board is Marvin Harrison Jr., Olufashanu, Joe Alt. Two left tackles, one generational wide receiver prospect. So scenario one is, and then remember, the Giants have two second-round picks. So they have value there. Scenario one, just say, screw it, best player available, pound for pound, potentially the best prospect in this class is Marvin Harrison Jr., whether it's for Daniel Jones or some other quarterback, I can't miss the opportunity on taking this level of prospect. I'm just taking Marvin Harrison Jr. Very valuable it's, position. It's, right. I have pushed back on this idea several times, but I can't say that it's a crazy thought. Mm-hmm. Right? There is a there is a rationale to this. Um, and I think that rationale got stronger with the Leonard Williams trade, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, so option one, just take Marvin Harrison Jr. And figure out quarterback later, which means you're picking at, if you're picking three, you're picking at 35 again. For So either you wait for one of these prospects to potentially fall, or you use a pick. You add something to your second round pick, and you slide up into the first round again somewhere and try to grab one of these guys, because some of these guys are going to be there in all likelihood, somewhere between, you know, I think at least two or three of them will be there between 20 and 30 some odd and so you, and you yeah. honestly i wouldn't want to risk it but you honestly could wait to 35 and i promise you there's going to be one of these quarterbacks we're talking about as like a borderline first I rounder mean, who's gonna be there. we literally just did we literally just did two episodes on 10 quarterbacks yeah and you know probably seven of them yeah. are guys that we we can see being in this range yep right so um in any case so option one just take marvin harrison jr Basically, see how the draft unfolds with your eye on one of these other quarterbacks. For example, Jaden Daniels or mm-hmm. Michael Penix what? or even J.J. McCarthy. One thing yeah. I'll say to the um, Marvin Harrison pick, I do want to push back a little bit on the notion that this is the same thing as taking Saquon Barkley second overall. I want to push back on it for a couple reasons. One wide receiver and running back are two totally different positions from a value standpoint and from like a longevity standpoint. Marvin Harrison Jr. very much can be a part of this future into his early 30s, unlike a running back, which is basically a first year contract and then they're done, which we're seeing right now. You see the peak of these like top, top wide receivers come around like 28 years old like yeah like deep deep into their second contract yes yeah, so and yeah. and the other thing i wanted to say is if you just look at the uh if you look at the quarterback classes look it's a very deep quarterback class but it is not top heavy like that other one was where i don't think you're you have these bona fide top 10 picks like you did in that class you had Sam Darnold, who a lot of people saw as the best quarterback in that class. It didn't work out that way, but that's how a lot of people viewed him sitting on the board. You had 
Josh Allen. Yeah, we're just talking about prospects. Yeah. yeah. Josh okay. Rosen. Like you you had people who wanted to come up for a quarterback. That was a quarterback valued pick. If people are trading up to that third pick, if you're trading out of it, they're not trading up for a quarterback. They're coming up for Marvin Harrison Jr. I can almost guarantee it that they will become that's the player they will be trading up for. So that is a wide receiver valued position, which I'm not saying don't trade out of that pick. I'm not saying that. I'm definitely open to it. But they're coming up for Marvin Harrison Jr. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, you're not you're not going to get the premium that you would get for quarterback. Basically, you're not going to get that 120 percent markup value. Maybe getting at. Pro- probably not. But I mean, then you see the examples of like last year with the um, the Texans moving up for Will Anderson. They really did pay quarterback prices for that trade. So you never know. So, le- so scenario one, you just take Marvin Harrison Jr. because you lock down the blue chipper. Yep. Uh, the best player left on the board and you live to fight another day and figure out quarter. You just kind of play out the board and see if you can get another quarterback somewhere late in the first round, middle of the first round, if you can trade back up, but you're taking a risk there that you may not get a quarterback. And, and one thing I will say, round. you've seen Joe Shane kind of work these boards. You saw it last year with, with letting John Michael Smith's fall into his lap, coming back up for Jalen Hyatt. Like he seems like the type of GM who was willing to, you know, play the board a little bit. And, you know, you saw a team right. like the the Tennessee Titans do that last year, where there's a lot of rumors if if uh, Skaronsky wasn't available for him, they were going to take Will Levis. And they right. let it play out, and they came back up for him in the second round. So, you know, there's definitely a conversation to play the board. It's just risky. Yeah. The second scenario is you just say, I really like a quarterback. I don't want to risk this. I need a quarterback here. I'm taking one. I'm not playing the ground. I'm just taking one. That's the I've got conviction in the quarterback argument. Now, that will get criticism from people who are draft experts and value experts and say, you shouldn't have taken a quarterback there. It's going to be like, it's Daniel Jones all over again. You overdrafted him. That will be the commentary. But here's the reality. We have to assume that Joe Shane and Brian Dable are doing their homework on these kids. And if they come away with the idea that this is not a two-quarterback class, this is a three- or four-quarterback class for us, meaning we see three or four kids here that we think we can turn into pro mm-hmm. bowlers that'll, that'll lead us towards Super Bowl contention in the next few years, and we don't feel like we have to go crazy to move up, but we have the conviction to take them at three or four, and we're not going to risk losing that kid because we think some other team might take grab that kid if we play games here. Whether it's Jaden Daniels, whether it's Michael Penix Jr., whether it's JJ McCarthy, hell, whether it's Bo Nix, Shador Sanders, if he comes should, out, should, should certainly Shador Sanders, if he comes out, would become the immediate top guy on that list. I think, mm-hmm. in terms of projectability, age, you know, things like that. But if there's a third guy that they feel strongly about, then if they take the pick, they'll get criticism. But the, at the end, at the end of the day, he just has to hit. He just has to be a, court, a good quarterback, and you're and people are going to look back and say, "Outstanding pick! You got your quarterback." People Done. hated the Josh Allen pick. There's a lot of people yeah. who hated the Josh Allen. They right. all Bills fans were wanted Josh Rosen. They heard Josh yeah. Allen. They were like, and "I know. Look what we are." So, and people have said to me, "Well, why would you do that? You know, you hated the Daniel Jones pick." I did hate the Daniel Jones pick. I'm not going to lie. Most of us hated the Daniel Jones pick because we thought Daniel Jones was just a flat-out bad football player that didn't deserve to be taken where he got taken. I, I will say this. I didn't hate the process. 
mm -hmm. process was they had conviction in a quarterback. They didn't want to risk losing that quarterback. He was their guy, and they were like, we're going to take a swing on this guy. The problem with the Daniel Jones pick was never that they took him where they took him. The problem with the Daniel Jones pick was twofold. One, their scouting process was flawed in evaluating him. Yep. And two, when he failed to show much, they doubled down on him. That's the problem with Daniel Jones. It wasn't mm -hmm. that they took a first-round swing on him. Because what did you lose by not taking Daniel Jones? Well, you lost Josh Allen. And that sucks. But it's not like you can't find an edge rusher. Like, you can figure that out, yeah. right? If, if Daniel Jones hit, nobody would be asking that question. The problem is he didn't. Not, not in my mind, at least. Yeah. Um, so if you, so scenario two, you just take the quarterback. That's I have conviction in the guy. I don't care which one it is. This is my guy. You well, take him. Ultimately, all that enough. matters is how they feel about these quarterbacks. Personally, the way exactly. I'm looking at it, I see a big tier two after the top two. That's how I see it. So I def, I'm, I have a different view on trading up versus potentially trading down or trading back up. But if, if I had conviction, I would have no problem with just taking one of these quarterbacks. And if they have conviction, and we're, go for it. And we're just fans yeah. who like to play the game, the math of it, right? This is their livelihood on the line. Mm -hmm. This is their career, right? So the quarterback decision is the single most important decision. And any way you slice it, whether you take the quarterback, don't take the quarterback, take them in the first, take them in the second, sign a veteran, you have to hit. If you don't hit on the quarterback, you get fired. If you hit on the quarterback, it doesn't matter what you gave up for them. It doesn't matter where you took them. You you keep going. And that's the bottom line. So if they have conviction on somebody and they take them, it'll piss some people off at three or four. They're going to say, why don't you just take Marvin Harrison? But at the end of the day, if that quarterback becomes a good player, whether it's Jaden Daniels or whoever, or Shadur Sanders or you name it, nobody's going to care And at that point. One, the one thing I will say is I will basically – I mean, I'll – ultimately support whatever quarterback they take ultimately i think the only sure. name that i would be like fuck if they took it like top 10 out of like guys realistically it's probably bo nix and that's only because of yeah. upside and i like bo nix like if they yeah. got, came back up for bo nix i could definitely sell myself on the value of that of a of a high floor guy it's just a top 10 bick on a guy who lacks ceiling I wouldn't love the pro and that similar thing with Daniel Jones. It's just the picking yeah. the prospect that lacks ceiling. Can he pick it? Like I, I want the upside. Right. Shadur Sanders is oozing with upside. JJ McCarthy is all upside and really not much of a resume yet. And mm -hmm. his his whole calling card is age and upside and projection. But he has a big NFL arm, uh, and he has legs that that can match like a an RPO game. Jaden Daniels is an you know he's an he's an older prospect, but he's showing you that he has major upside. He has elite traits. He has elite yeah. deep accuracy and elite athleticism. Those are elite traits. And his his passer rating, we went over this last week. His passer rating, his passing efficiency at every level has improved year after year after year. He's he's actually progressing, right? So this is a guy who has elite traits, even though he's a more of a finished product than some of the other kids that are coming out, you can see them developing him. And then Michael Penix Jr. may not have a ton of projection left, but he's already an elite passer. Mm -hmm. He's an elite passing quarterback. He's a plug-and-play NFL passer who lacks certain mobility-related you know, upside, and he has an injury history, and he's a little older. But as a plug-and-play quarterback, if you can block for him just a little bit, he can be an assassin, and you know that already. So these yeah. are high-upside passers. So if they want to take them, that's fine. So that's scenario two. Just take your quarterback. Scenario three. 
you don't want to take your quarterback here because you're like, the value's not there. And I don't love any of these guys, right? And you don't want to sit and take Marvin Harrison Jr. because you know you need more than just Marvin Harrison Jr. Yep. And you still want to get a quarterback, but you just don't want to take him here. This is the riskiest of the three, in my opinion. And it may be the right answer in this scenario, but this is the riskiest play, which is you say, Marvin Harrison Jr. is an elite blue chip prospect. He's worth a shit ton in draft capital. And some team that may be drafting three, four picks down the line, that's maybe seven or eight, is is say calling and saying, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Let's say the Indianapolis Colts are there. Some other team that's got a quarterback. Mm-hmm. What's it going to take for us to get Marvin Harrison Jr.? We want that pick. You can see a scenario where the Giants are like, okay, you want that pick? I want a swap to go down a few spots. I want your second round pick. And I want next year's first. Yep. Or something along those lines where they can get essentially a King's ransom similar to like what you could get at the top of the draft. Right. Or maybe not quite that, but something close to that. Or they say, give me your third this year and a first next year or something along those lines and a pick swap. And the Giants now pick up another day 100 pick this year, and they have somebody else's first round pick for next year, which puts them in position to do more damage, right? The, the sort of the Howie Roseman kind of build up the draft capital approach. And then they get to seven or eight, they roll the dice that the guy they like at quarterback will be there, and then they pull the trigger quarterback at seven or eight, and they feel better about or it. Or you even go back, like uh, using an example to from 12. last year, you go back to 12, yeah. and what what if you get a trade like that, this is what the Texans gave up. They gave up the 12th pick, the 33rd pick, a first round pick the next year, and a third round pick next year. That type of haul, I would be willing to move back. And I think you could still get like a, even if you aren't going quarterback there, you could go get like a Roma Dunze. Well, the, the Texans went from 12 to what, three? Three. It'd be very similar okay. to come up three yeah. for Marvin Harrison. Um, and I, I, was, I could do something like that. I said this to you is, I don't think I'd be willing to do it for anything short than a first round pick. Cause my opinion is that, I mean, maybe I would be able to move back like one or two spots. If you're going to get your quarterback, if you're just like, let me just pick up this Marvin Harrison jr. Value and then get my quarterback. Cause I'm confident they're going to get Marvin Harrison jr. If you move, if you're just moving that just to, you know, play the game a little bit and get your quarterback and take a small risk. And I get that. I, but, if you're just going to move back, let's say to pick eight, risk your quarterback going off the board. You obviously don't have that type of level of conviction, just to like risk going back that far. And then potentially just like take Malik neighbors, for example, who I really like. I really like Malik neighbors. I'm a big fan of his, but we comp to Malik neighbors too. And we got this from uh Connor Rogers at this comp, but we DJ comped Moore. him to DJ Moore, and who's a yeah. very good football player. But Marvin Harrison Jr., he's in the the mold of a Calvin Johnson, a Julio Jones, uh AJ Green, an AJ yeah, Green, a Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Like, so right. would you trade a second round pick plus DJ Moore for that type of player? I I would. No. Oh, I mean to get them, oh yeah. Oh, no. but, oh yeah, yeah, of course. But oh yeah, yes. I, I wouldn't trade him away either. Like so like yeah. I I get getting value. But at some point when you just have a, a special player and they're available for you, you, you just kind of got to, you know, hold your nose and, and and make the pick at some point. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's not right. the, our favorite scenario there, but um, 
you know, then you come back kind of, we talked about, you come back and if you can try to get a quarterback. I'm telling you like, uh, if we're, if these guys are as close as we think they are and they might not be, I think, uh, a Michael Penix plus a Marvin Harrison jr. Is going to be better than, uh, JJ McCarthy and, uh, and, uh, and Muka, and Amika Buka, you know what I mean? And that's right. the best case. No, and I think, and as much as I, I have pushed back on this scenario of just taking Marvin Harrison Jr., sometimes I've said like it's a fireable offense if you take Marvin Harrison yeah. Jr. Um, I've softened my stance on it a little bit. I still think it's a mistake, personally. I don't want um, this to be the scenario. Let's make that clear. Right. I'm just open to it. But I am open to it, and that's where I stand. Like I think it depends on what you're being offered, who's trying to trade, how far back you have to go, what you're getting in return. There are a lot of variables that will be things that we're not aware of, unless and until a trade actually happens, where you know you're willing to move down or just take Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think part of my view has softened on this, mainly because we got that extra second round pick for Leonard Williams. Um, in my opinion, it would have been a hard, a tough pill to swallow to give up your first round pick in this draft without that extra second on a wide receiver no matter how good he is and not come away with the quarterback because yeah. you don't have the, the capital now get it with that extra second round pick you now have enough draft capital this year and next to manipulate the board and say i'm going to take marvin harrison and i'm going to get a quarterback i think that makes it a lot of easier historically deep quarterback class like that's right. like obviously there's there's two values from this quarterback class the values are two top two elite elite talents that's number one value the number two is the depth and reaching in my opinion if you i mean like i said if you're sold on a quarterback take them but you're not taking advantage of the values of this class it's just you happen to also love it the taking advantage of it is taking advantage of the depth and being like there's a few guys i have in the same tier and i can i can play the game in this and and pair them up this is this is playing this is playing the board. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's a tricky scenario. So those are the three scenarios, right? If you can't draft the quarterback, if you can't get, if you can't get to one, one or two and you're drafting it three or four, let's say just for argument's sake, it's three. Uh, option one is just take Marvin Harrison jr. Say, screw it. Use your draft capital to either take a quarterback at 35 or move up a little bit and take somebody at the back end of round one. Option two is, uh, just take the quarterback. If you have, if you have conviction, option three is trade down. But you got to be real careful if you do, if you're Joe Shane, to make sure that if you're trading down and you're giving up on the blue chipper in Marvin Harrison Jr., that you're going to have access to a, the quarterback you are looking for or at least another blue chip prospect. Yeah. Um, those those are the kind of options. Because there is another scenario, right? Like we're, If you're giving up Marvin Harrison Jr. to the team at five, there's one last scenario. Or it's just the trade down five scenario. like we are right now. Right. I'm just saying, let's say we're at yeah, three, yeah, yeah. right? And you and the team at five, again, let's just say it's the Indianapolis Colts mm-hmm. and they really want Marvin Harrison Jr. And they'll say, they're saying, I want to come up. What is it going to take? And you say, swap picks with me and give me next year's first, mm-hmm. right? So straight up. If they want him bad enough, they'll make the trade, yeah. right? And they'll say, fine. I think that's a fair trade. I don't think you'd get much more than that, but you'd get next year's first Indianapolis. It would, it would be funny if they traded a first to come up for Marvin Harrison Jr. and they wouldn't do it for their quarterback. Right. But he is he, he's Indianapolis royalty. Don't forget yeah. that. So, you know, so let's just say they did that. Now you felt right. I mean, you take advantage of crackheads, so why not? <laughs> right? So, so they come up to three. They take Marvin Harrison Jr. Four is whoever, let's say the Bears at four again, and they say, okay, we need a tackle. We're going to take Olufashani. Mm-hmm. 
You're sitting at five. You've lost out on Marvin Harrison Jr. You've lost out on Olufashana. You have an extra first for next year. You still got to handle quarterback. The quarterback you're eyeing is Michael Penix Jr. Are you going to take him here? Or are you going to say, you know what Michael Penix Jr. really needs? He needs a solid bookend tackle here. Yep. You take Joe Walt. I hate this idea. God. But <laughs> it's a, like just saying it makes me sick. But it's like you take Joe Walt. Now you've got your tackle, and then you trade up a little bit later, and you take Michael Penix Jr. And now you've got the makings of an offensive line and a quarterback room that can really function. And you didn't really give up anything. Um, so it depends on your conviction on these quarterbacks and how you want to play the board. Um, here's another. So those are yeah. Go ahead. Here's another scenario that you can potentially play with. I know a lot of people. I think this is premature. A lot of people are convinced suddenly Jaden Daniels is set to be a top 10 quarterback. I think it's possible. Yeah, sure. I think it's premature yeah. to be putting him there already. Another scenario possibly is maybe you take a, a teammate of his in Malik neighbors and you look to come back up for a Jaden Daniels and yep. pair those guys up. I think um, it was interesting playing. I mean, you could take Michael Penix and, and, uh, and Jaden Daniels and you could take, Jane Daniels and Joe Walt. You could do it those ways too. That's just kind of like best case scenarios that we're talking here. But one thing I will say, if we are going to start talking and considering a guy like Olofashano or Joe Walt, because we end up with pick five, let's say, like I am just trading down, like we are where we are right now. I am saying it right now, and I don't think we need to be too worried about it. I'm like 99% sure Bobby Johnson's going to be fired. But I will be screaming to the rooftops. We cannot take an offensive tackle at five if we still have Bobby Johnson as our offensive tackles. We cannot oh, do sure. it. But I'll say, if let's say we get get our wish, let's say we, the John Mara realizes like this offensive line has been a problem for too long. We saw how bad coaching, like we saw the worst coaching we've ever seen on it. We need to fix the coaching. He throws a bag at Mike Munchak. Mike Munchak comes in here. We have the fifth pick, and he says, "Look, I see Evan Neal as a guard. I think that I think he can be successful there. I think I think you guys are using him in the wrong spot, and I really like this Joe Alt kid. And if Mike Munchak is like, look, you get you let me put Evan Neal inside. Let me put Joe Alt here at right tackle or left tackle and move Andrew Thomas over if you get panics or something. What does that doesn't matter? Um." And says we're gonna have the best offensive line in the league. If we do this, then I, I, I trust Mike Mike Munchak to some extent there. Right. I mean, it does start with the coach. But if he says that, like I can give you a top tier offensive line and a quarterback who, if, as long as you give him a top tier offensive line, he's potentially going to be a top ten quarterback in the NFL. That's an appealing thought process, right? Yeah. And and Michael Penix Jr. Unlike our current currently injured, but our starting quarterback knows how to throw the ball deep. And we'll do it with consistency <clears throat> in a quick amount of time. And a guy like Jalen Hyatt, who we're seeing a lot of film of being open play after play after play in every game and just not getting the ball thrown his way. A player like Michael Penix Jr. is exactly the kind of quarterback that you would want to unlock that speed of, of a guy like Jalen Hyatt and whatever other receiver you have in the room. So is Jaden Daniels, by the way. I mean, he's developed that deep ball game. So yeah, he's just not going to drive it in there like Penix, but he has the accuracy to put it anywhere. Right. So these are all scenarios you can consider. I personally hate the idea of waiting on quarterback. I get um, that for sure. I also hate the idea of just taking a player and saying, 
All right, we got one of these top players who are non-quarterbacks. Now let's figure out quarterback. It's it's a stressful process. You've now opened up the gates for other teams to make it more difficult for you to get the guy you want. You're competing with everybody. You're trying to climb up now from you're not playing from the a top 10 pick. You're not trying to climb up from 35 to something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a lot harder and you you really can't make a move unless you're willing to give up next year's first. And if that's the case, why don't you just go up and get, you know, do something else. But like, you really can't make a move until you have to sit all night. This is, this is a scenario where as giant fans, the giants will make a pick. Maybe it's a Marvin Harrison or whoever. And then you're going to have to sit there through the whole first night of the draft until like midnight or whatever the hell the damn thing ends. Right. And sit there and wonder when is Joe Shane going to make a move here? Like, you're going to sit there and wonder, like, is he going to make a move? And you're going to be up all night watching this thinking, is he going to do it? And it's going to depend on where these quarterbacks go. Because for all we know, with all the quarterback teams out there, they may not go till seven or eight or something. But when they go, they may go one, two, three, and it's over. Right? It's entirely possible. And you may leave. Start making trades. And you may leave the first round with, you know, Michael Penix Jr., Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, all on the board still. And be like, is this going to be a scenario where these guys fall to the third round, like where we saw in uh, like like twenty twenty one with like Malik Willis and all those guys? I don't think so. Or or yeah. is it or is it a situation where these guys are going to be like a, a Will Levis and they're going to be like the first quarterback off the board day two or or somewhere in right. between that? It's it's hard to know. It's a stressful process. So this is the thing: if you don't get your quarterback early. Man, it makes for a much more complicated uh, situation for Joe Shane. I guess he. I guess this is where he earns his GM stripes if it does shake out this way. Yeah. Like if he can somehow land a top tier blue chip prospect that is not a quarterback and get his quarterback somehow, I, I would. Then he's going to come out looking like a king. I'd prefer. I I believe in Joe Shane and all. I I'd prefer not to have to figure out if Joe Shane's a good GM as he's figuring out a quarterback possession. I'd like to figure out if he's a good GM on the other spots. Exactly. Uh, it's just the position you don't want to have to roll the dice with. So yeah. in this scenario, I hate to say this because it doesn't it doesn't match up to value. But in this scenario, the safest thing to do, in my opinion, is just take the quarterback that you really like as QB3, assuming that you have a high enough value on that player. And it's just a, And there's like this the conversation I was kind of alluding to earlier is look they they are like going to be on the hot seat going in next year and wouldn't you rather have your the quarterback you believe most in like like potentially saving your jobs than like taking the best quarterback left over but the other side of that is you know if you're matching one of these guys in the same tier with a top tier tackle or wide receiver or whatever it may be it's like that guy if you have them same tier they're probably going to be a better quarterback with that type of player around them than just some guy who you like a little bit better without that guy. So it's, right. it's a tough, a tough argument there. Interesting conversation let's, that I hope we don't have to talk too much about. I'd like to play out one more scenario. Sure, uh, I have and this is, at, well, so. yeah, this one I absolutely detest. Um, but the, the scenario is you take someone else in the first round and you just wait. And day one ends, you didn't get a quarterback. You're going into Friday, and you know that they, I mean, at least you think they're going to try to get a quarterback. 
on on Friday on day two, and they're sitting with the third or fourth pick on Friday, and you've got to figure out a way to get one of these guys. So the first question is, of the quarterbacks we have reviewed at this point, barring substantial changes between now and the combine, I don't think there's going to be a ton of changes, but you know, mm-hmm. let's assume for a second. Shadur Sanders is in the draft, okay? Because until he's not in the draft, as far as I'm concerned, he's in the draft. There's a lot of reasons I think he may come out. Um, very briefly, he's getting the shit kicked out of him every yeah. week because of his old line play. It's not going to get any easier when they go to the Big 12 next year. And I don't know if you're following, but there have been now two players who have decommitted from Colorado in the past week. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, a wide receiver who was one of the top prospects in the country coming out in the 2025 class and, uh, and an offensive lineman who was, I think the 60 something ranked all line interior lineman in the country in high school, who's supposed to be there next year has decommitted. And the rumors have it that these players are decommitting because they're not, they're hearing whispers that Dion may not stick around at Colorado next year. That's the rumor. I don't know if that's true or not, but if that's the case, does Shadur Sanders just declare, right? So I think we have to assume he's going to be in the draft until he's not. That's the way I'm looking at it. Uh huh. Let's assume he's there. The top two guys are gone. Giants have taken somebody other than a quarterback early on. They took Marvin Harrison Jr. You got your wide receiver one. You're done. Yep. Who do you think will go in the first round before day two starts? Realistically, who are your, your first round quarterbacks? Sure. Let's get them listed and off the board. So... Drake May, Caleb Williams, that's easy. Those two, whatever order. Um, I think I'm pretty confident J.J. McCarthy will be QB3 off the board, if not. Well, Shador Sanders, McCarthy. I think both those guys, those two will be the next guys. I I feel confident those guys will be top 20 picks. Um, I think, I think the way things are trending... I think Jaden Daniels finds his way into the first round. I think that's just how it's trending. I think the NFL values athletes like him, and I think somebody will will take him, even if it's thirty two. Like I think he will find his way into the first round. Um, I agree. I think the most likely scenarios is Michael Penix because of his age and injuries, and Bo Nix because of his age and upside find their way outside of the first round. And then maybe if so you think they'll players. So you think these two guys will be there at the top of round two? Those would be my guesses. Today. Yes, yeah. Okay. I don't disagree with you. As much as I love Michael Penix, we know how the NFL ultimately absolutely dissects these players come draft time. Age, injury history, it gets ripped to shreds. So I wouldn't be shocked if Bo Nix was taken. Because despite his age, he's good, but he's also healthy. <laughs> I'll say one yeah. more thing about I did say Jaden Daniels, and I do think you'll go there. I do have uh, one of my buddies, Anthony, who I talk a lot of NFL drafts up with. He's an Arizona State fan. He he's he's root, no, 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 he's nothing against Jaden Daniels. He's rooting for Daniel Daniels. He really liked what he's seen, but he did tell me when he was at ASU just what he heard was that there was a lot of like talk about Jaden Daniels giving up on the team and how his teammates didn't really like him. He kind of got ostracized in that locker room. And if any of that's true, and you like you said, you, you saying these draft prospects getting 
ripped up made me think of it. If any of that's true, that's going to come up and that's not going to be something that these NFL, right. you know, no matter how much his LSU teammates like them, that's going to be something. Well, right now, right now, Jade Daniels is probably riding a wave that's keeping him around the peak of his value, which yeah. is like flirting with top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally think that he should just stop playing football yeah. at this point and, and just get, get off on the high. I know he's trying to win. Yeah. A Heisman, yeah so he, he had his Heisman moment game. versus Florida. Right. He's probably going to, he'll play his final game against A&M, I guess. And, uh, and then he'll, I think it's A&M and, uh, and he, and he, I'm sure he won't play in the bowl game. Um, so I can see a scenario where he is potentially flirting with the back end of round one. I have a hard time seeing Jaden Daniels fall out of round one though. Yeah. I just really, because I think he's, he's put his traits and he just put too much on tape this past oh, it's, year. It's historically good season. Like, yeah, the, the production is there. Right. So I have a hard time seeing him be there day two. So I think best case scenario is what we're getting at here. You're the Giants. You wake up on Friday morning. You got Marvin Harrison Jr. or Ola Vashana, one of these guys in your back pocket. Now you're looking for the quarterback to go with them. And the best case scenario is Michael Penix Jr. Bo Nix are on the board. Yep. They're clearly the top two prospects. The next best prospect is, is if he declares Quinn Ewers. Same thing. I'm assuming he's declaring until he isn't. And then there's a drop off. Right? Yeah. Then there's a drop off from there. It's like guys like Carson Beck. Is he going to declare? I don't think he will. Guys like Cam Ward. Guys like Quinn what Ewers. Am I here? If he you declares, Quinn, I mean, no, I mentioned Ewers. Oh, okay, but like Ewers, Cam Ward, um, Rattler, DJ Ukulele, Spencer Rattler. We're in this territory now. Yeah. Right. So while these guys have draftable grades, there is a substantial drop off here. Uh, so best case scenario for the Giants, maybe there's two or three guys that are worthy of a top of day two pick. Yep. And that's what you're hoping for. So this is the risk, right? If you walk away from day one, this is why I keep saying the Giants have a day one quarterback problem. If you walk out of day one and you don't have your quarterback, you're hoping best case scenario that maybe a couple of these guys sneak into round two because they're older prospects and teams just decide to pass on them. They're not going to last long on in round two. I can promise you that. Like because teams may not want to use a first round pick on them, but that calculus changes dramatically at the start of day two. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Michael Penix Jr. looks really valuable, and so does Bo Nix. Just for the record, I just looked it up. The record for most quarterbacks taken in the first round right now is six. That's mm-hmm. the record. That was the 1983 draft with Elway, Kelly, and Marino. Um, and it was five in recently in that one in the class with uh Lauren, the 2020, yeah, yeah, so 2021. Um, so that's so that's what we're looking at five to six is kind of like the where it tap, tap taps out. So, like I said, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Shador, JJ McCarthy, and you're kind of looking at one, two max. So, like, it's almost guaranteed that Bonix yeah. or Penix or whoever or both. Daniels maybe McCarthy right. maybe I'm wrong on him maybe no I, I I think it's I think it's fair to say that one or two of these top seven guys or top eight guys seven I'd guys say. aren't going first round I right. highly what one, one or two of them will be available at the top of round two yeah but in this scenario the Giants are not drafting number one in round two they're drafting number three or four in round two yeah. or five in round two so guess what the Giants will have to do to make sure they get one of these guys trade up they have to trade up 
and you might as well trade up and get that fifth year option. Oh, and exactly. So that's why this is a scenario that we should not be in. Like, in my opinion, if the Giants walk out of day one without a quarterback, basically Joe Shit has failed, unfortunately. You know, he's he's putting a lot at risk at that point. It may work out in his fit. It may work out, right? It could be that takes his, he doesn't trade anything, sits tight, takes a blue-chip prospect like Marvin Harrison Jr., stays patient, stays patient in the second round, boom, Michael Penix Jr. falls to him, he takes him, stays patient manipulates the board, gets an offensive lineman, gets an edge rusher, get whatever, right? Like he builds the, the class up. But boy, is it running. It's just, it's gambling and it's a lot of gambling and it's gambling with his career at this point. Yep. So I I do think, it, you know, in this scenario, the smart thing to do and it, to get value is trade up into the back end of round one yeah. and secure one of these guys. And you justify you it with the fifth year option. Even I know the fifth year option isn't quite as valuable as it was a couple years ago before they kind of changed the numbers and guaranteed it totally, but it's still like a, it's, it's pretty valuable. Yeah. It's still for a quarterback. Well, 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 so the, the giants are paying Daniel Jones on average $40 million per year. The cap hit this year was not 40 million, but to accommodate that they're taking on monstrous cap hits the next few years. The the fifth year option was if they had take they have just pulled the trigger on that would have been twenty two million. But literally, if they you know, not that I supported them taking the fifth year option on Daniel Jones, I fully supported them not yeah. executing on that in real time. However, in terms of value, they had the opportunity to to pull the trigger and say, you know what, we can eat twenty two million. It's no big deal, and it's essentially like getting a very very cheap franchise tag, yeah. right? Ten ten million cheaper than the franchise tag. The the flip side though is you're stuck with a Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold and you are legitimately cutting one of them potentially in their, on their fifth year option where the money is fully guaranteed. So I'm not discussing this in the, the Daniel Jones thing, because I think the Daniel Jones. Uh, Yeah, I know. I'm just saying the fully guaranteed fifth year option kind of changed the value on this, where I think you're going to see more of them. You already are seeing more of them getting declined than they used to be. Because it was just a right. comp pick thing before. But but we're talking about a situation where the player is actually good. And yeah. it's clear that you want to pay him. So you're gonna you may execute the fifth year option and it, it at least buys you some time to work out a longer term deal, buys you some cap maneuverability. It has value. So the point is any way you slice this. The smart thing for Joe Shane to do here is assuming that he wants a quarterback, is he's gotta come away from day one with a quarterback it could be just a quarterback or it could be another blue chip prospect plus a quarterback later but it's hard for me to see a scenario where he walks out of day one of the draft without a quarterback and thinking he had a successful night i'll give you one more devil's advocate though for leaving the first round with it this is one thing i have thought about if and look like i don't know how much Joe Shane has time left to to go get a third quarterback or anything like that. But even if it's not Joe Shane, whatever it may be, us as fans at least thinking it, if they kick a quarterback on day two, it's going to be a lot easier for them to sell moving off a quarterback when one becomes available. Then we know where this kind of franchise has been, where once they kind of mm-hmm. take a quarterback, that's their guy There's, no matter what. For for like 20 years. I yeah. think if <laughs> I think if they took one in second round and just said, Hey, 
we've had a lot of injuries at quarterback and we really value a high end backup kind of like the Eagles sold the the Jalen Hurts even at the top of the second. I think you could still mm-hmm. kind of sell it that way and then it's just like even if like you are like turning around drafting quarterback next year it's like yeah, we drafted him to be a backup even though you know they're full of shit. They kind of like there is there's something to be said there. Yep. No, there is. Um Especially if so, you're trading back and accumulating first round picks for next year. Well, so at the end of the day, what this, you know, in summary comes down to is, is the Giants really need to land in the top two picks? Like yeah. these hypotheticals are really interesting for people like us to sit down and go through like the game theory of how this could all work. But in reality, th- this is a shit show of an experience to have to live through if you don't have a top two pick I, and you want a quarterback. It, it's going to be good for content, but I really don't want to have to. I'll r- I'd rather just talk about about the second round and the third round, and it, let's just say we're getting Drake May or Caleb Williams. I don't want to think about Momo's mental health <laughs> if this is the situation we're in. I don't want to think about my mental health. I don't need any more <laughs> horror it? videos from Momo. <laughs> Dark Momo is is it a bad look what you maniacs have done to Momo. <laughs> Dark Momo is a scary thing. And you know what? I'm I've gone dark too. So I'm I'm laughing for the sake of this pod, but I'm going to go back into my retreat of darkness pretty soon after we we conclude. Um I, but yeah, the bottom line is we got to get a top 2 pick somehow and I, I I could give a shit about getting more wins and and locker room stuff with all due respect to the locker room if you wanted me to care about your feelings you should not be 3 and 8 even winning some damn games you know so I'm not worried about that I'm worried about the future of the team I want them to lose out plain and simple I don't care what people think of that I think I'm in the majority of the fan base at this point I don't care if you look good or look bad i could give a shit i want l's all the way down the line so that the giants land a top two pick so they can comfortably without dealing with all these stressful scenarios land one of the blue chip quarterbacks in this class and manipulate the board from the second round on that's what i want to see happen um but if they don't land a top two pick joe shane you got your work cut out for you man you're gonna have to prove that you're a worthy gm after that yep gonna be a tough tough thing to battle out of and um yeah man i it should be interesting how all that plays out the one other thing i did want to go into a little bit because we are at the fifth pick right now um you know we talked about quarterbacks we'd be interested in and we talked about all the trade scenarios just talking at like let's say let's call it the fifth pick what what uh what prospects interest you if you're stuck there taking you're not taking quarterback so let's say marvin harrison jr is off the board what uh what one of the one of the one of the tackles is off the board by then right one of the tackles let's say olafashana realistically it's probably olafashana um so in some order it's going to be caleb drake may marvin harrison jr olafashana that's probably your top four consensus prospects they're off the board so now so now you're looking at do i take a tackle which obviously Joe Alt would be the next man up. Um, or do you go defense or do you go to the next best wide receiver? I think yep. those are sort of like the, the scenarios. I'd say there's Personal. one more. Brock Bowers. I'm not advocating, but that is a conversation. Yeah. So this is a non-trade down scenario. Yep. This is you're just going to take somebody. Brock Bowers is is the best prospect left on the board. Let's yes, be real. He, At this BPA. point, he... he He's BPA. Like, if you're going pure value, Brock Bowers, a tight end from 
Georgia, who we reviewed, is I think it's fair to say he's a generational prospect at tight end. Right. You know, I, I think he's, he's as good as we've seen for a long time. He can block. He's an outstanding blocker. He can stretch the field and create explosive plays. He can generate blocks that, that explode the run game out. He's reliable. He's a I Blitnikoff mean, he, finalist, and he's a tight end that's missed games. Right. It, it, he's ridiculous. He changes the dynamic of your offense. I hate the idea of taking Brock Bowers, but here's the thing. If you took Brock Bowers, let's just play it out. You took Brock Bowers here, and you took your quarterback in one of those other scenarios we talked about later. You have now added an elite, elite pass catching and blocking weapon to your offense. You have dynamically changed your offense. So I'm not saying I would take Brock Bowers, but I don't think I can dismiss the idea of it. I hate the idea of it, but I can't dismiss what it could potentially do to the offense. Yeah, it's a tough thing to do because this is what I'll say. I think an elite, elite tight end play, uh, elite tight end is a valuable position in the NFL. I don't think a tight end is necessarily a value position like top of the line, but I think when you do find an elite (laughs) one who is in like a wide receiver one level talent that can also block i think that's one of the most valuable players in football in this scenario you're also trading one of either darren waller or daniel bellinger yeah, off this team yeah to get an additional asset i think like, i think I, you're I moving think, waller right after that in my opinion trying to get like a fourth something like that right and you're basically rolling with bowers and bellinger as yeah. your two tight ends which might be a pretty devastating one-two combo at tight end, if you think about it. You know, like, that could be nasty. I mean, we've seen teams pull this off with, you know, like, the two tight end sets as their base when they have elite tight end play and and figure this out. So let's not discount the potential value there. Again, sometimes you just, you don't overthink it. You take the best player and you build from there. So there is an argument to be made for Brock Bowers. Outside of Brock Bowers, who I think is BPA, the other players... I personally would not take the tackle here. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, as much as Joe Walt is probably the next player on the BPA list, I have a hard time justifying taking another offensive tackle with the top five, top six pick. I'd need a bunch after we just do this. That's the only way I think I'd consider it is if we had an elite offensive line coach. The only way to even and do consider you- it. And do you need to take a tackle at five or six if you have Mike Munchak? Exactly, because I right? think he, so, he can make Neil at least like competent. Right. So anyway, you said, I think I'd rather have the coach, a better coach and a better scheme than just drop another top asset on a tackle. But at least in that case, that scenario, I can trust the advice is coming from the offensive line coach to make. I would, I would, I would give it thought. It would not be high on my priority. Let's take a tackle here. Honestly, I think the next best player, in my opinion, um, is actually probably Malik neighbors. I agree. uh, The wide receiver from LSU. And this is the scenario where you just say, Malik Neighbors, we talked about this in the wide receiver episode, which was our very first episode. Malik Neighbors would be wide receiver one in almost every draft class. That's where it was trending. Except for this there. one. Yep. Right? And he has been At least everything last that we thought he would be. Everything we have thought Malik Neighbors could be, he has been, and then some. Mm-hmm. The guy is easily being discussed as wide receiver one and a potential elite, elite prospect if it wasn't for Marvin Harrison Jr. being sitting, sitting in front of him in the class. Like, that's how good he's been. So 
I'm probably taking a swing on Malik Neighbors here. To be honest, if we, of those three players, Bowers, Alt, Neighbors, Bowers is intriguing because of his value as a generational type prospect at tight end. Alt is intriguing because of the prospect of maybe having a guy like Munchak who vouches for him and you're getting a tackle and you're moving Neil to guard, presumably. But ultimately, I do think Malik Neighbors has the upside. I think he's a lot more than DJ Moore, personally. I think he's going to become one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. And I would actually probably take a swing on Malik Neighbors here. Yeah. No, what about you? I, I'm with you. I think that's where I'd probably lean here. You know, to talk you know, about Brock Bowers a little bit, I it obviously I think that's an interesting one, but I think the devil advocates points that would push me away from it is look, if you take Malik Neighbors and he becomes the say the sixteenth best wide receiver in the NFL, that's still a hit. That's still a win with that pick. If you take Brock Bowers and he's the 10th best tight end in the NFL. That is a humongous failure of a pick. Humongous failure by just being a top yeah. 10 tight end. Yeah. Like he has You're to putting be, yourself in a tough spot. He has to be elite or nothing. And I think he will be. Right. But the thing is, these if he isn't, boys that a miss. Yeah. And, and these top tight ends have not been. He would be the outlier. Every right. single one of these tight ends have come outside the first round. Look. Le- Kyle let me Pitts throw not let me that conversation. Let me throw a couple of more names into this list since we're at, at you know positional value. Sure. Obviously, top five edge rusher. Uh, it, we kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of the edge rushers we reviewed in terms of being somewhere in the top five. Jared Verse was the top, the clear number one coming into the season. He has fallen off a little bit compared to the other guys. The clear number one edge rusher in this class this year has been Layatu Latu. No yeah. doubt about it from UCLA. Yeah, He's agreed. been the top edge rusher. 100%. Are you putting a top 10 pick on Layatu Latu, a player who had to medically retire? No, not with his history. I don't think he'll be the top edge taken. He's just the best talent, but he's. I don't right. think he'll be the first edge off the board. He's just a so great then, player. The next best edge in terms of production this year has probably been Chop Robinson from Penn State. Are you spending a top 10 pick, five overall on Chop Robinson? At least from advanced stats, uh, he's, I think he only has three sacks on the year. So again, like, no, I, I think if I was going to do it, I think the next guy you're probably going to bring up is Dallas Turner and yep. And Dallas Turner is a guy that we had lower list. And he's the reason for him is he's, he's a projectable guy. That's something we brought up mm-hmm. and he's, I think he has 40 pressures on the year. Like he's one of the leaders in pressures. He, um, he has, let's see, he has a 90 true pass rush, uh, pass rush grade. He has a 17.4 pass rush win, win rate. Like he has elite like grades there and he has eight sacks on the year, eight hits. Like he's having a productive and good year. He has not been good in the run game. And I think ultimately what it kind of comes down to too with this is look, you just named like Latu. You named Chop Robinson, who's also having a great year. You mentioned Jared Verse, who's yes, he's having a down year compared to last year, but he it probably had a better year last year than any of these guys are having like this year arguably. At least maybe not Latu, but Latu's kind of the exception here with the uh the injury history. But 
it's hard for me to sit there and take the first edge of the board when I really don't see a a blue chipper and a lot of good guys. There's one blue chipper here, clearly. It's Latu. I mean, Latu is, he's 6'5", what is he, 265, he's a big dude, uh, you know, playing the edge. He's quick. If you guys remember, now this is going back 12, 13 weeks of our show, um, you you know, the, the top edge rushers in the NFL win above 20% pass rush win rate. And we're talking like the top five guys, right? Mm-hmm. Latu is at 24.1%. And he... 20, he He's putting up elite, elite, elite numbers. And he was putting up elite numbers last year, dude. Like, that's why I love this guy. He was, this was like my guy going into it. It was just the worry was the injury. But, dude, he capped off a 12-sack season last year. The season's not even over. He's at 14 sacks this year. He has 26 sacks right now over two seasons. Like, he's the best edge rusher in this class. Somebody, and he's going to, he's probably going to fall because of his injury history. Somebody's going to take him. And we discussed this when we talked about edge rushers. Whoever gets him is going to be getting an outstanding football player. And everybody's going to be asking next year, what the hell was the league thinking? He's, Letting this guy slide to 20, he's, 18, he's whatever Jalen he Phillips to. on steroids as a prospect. Like, he, like Jalen Phillips went he, like 18 or he's whatever. A better, he, he, yeah, I think 19. Or something like that, but he's he's a better prospect than Jalen Phillips. Yeah, was. he'll go he'll go like ten probably, just because he's such a good prospect. And he'll fall a little bit because of that. He, he was. A I don't think he's. Player. I I I'd be surprised if he went top ten. I'll be honest with the medical history. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think teams. I'm just will trying to compare use, it. To I think how teams much will better go, of a prospect he is. Yeah, I think teams will use the advanced uh, the advanced stats and the film review and say, look, Jared versus close. Chop Robinson's close. Dallas Turner's projectable. I, I'm willing to bet two or three edge rushers get taken before lie out to Latu. Um, and I don't think it's right, but I think that's how it's going to happen. But we'll see. Um, the only other position and player we're discussing here is cornerback. Um, because that, again, going by, by positional value, top 10, cornerbacks are up there. So the only cornerback in my mind that's worthy of discussion here is Kool-Aid McKinstry from Alabama. Would you take Kool-Aid McKinstry at top five? A press man corner for a reminder for everybody, press man corners, fluid hips, incredible instincts, good length, good speed. He's going to blow up the combine plug and play. in if we still have Wink Martindale in a Wink Martindale type defense, would you consider using the top, you know, the fifth overall pick on Kool-Aid McKinstry? I really wouldn't. He's a good, not great player. I mean, I think in last year's class, he would have probably been, he wouldn't have been in the top tier of cornerbacks for me. I would have had Devin Witherspoon and um, uh, Christian Gonzalez over him. He would have probably fell probably at the top, but somewhere in that Deontay Banks, Joey Porter, um, Emmanuel Forbes type tier for me personally. What about you? No, I wouldn't take him at five. I think that the Giants have the advantage of having a cornerback one. I think that we mentioned this during our episode. We have a cornerback one developing right now in Deontay Banks. And forget about some of the stuff in like the PFF grades and the stats. He's putting on film as a rookie that is special. He's taking on incredible assignments as a rookie. You don't see rookies do what he's doing, where he's going one-on-one against the top receiver. Some of the top receivers in the NFL, he's getting trial by fire and he's holding his own. 
by this time next year, Deontay Benz, I fully suspect, is going to be one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL. Probably a top top 10 corner in the NFL is my suspicion by the end of next year. He's well on his way to being a cornerback one. And I think that the Giants are in a position where they are also seeing Cordell Flott emerge as a solid nickel corner right now. He's playing well. I mean, it's a small, small sample size, but he's playing well. They may be set at cornerback one on the outside and nickel corner, which means that in terms of a starter, what you need is a cornerback two. I'm definitely not, with all the other things going on and positional value, I'm not expending a top five pick on a quarterback in a class where you don't have like a generational type elite cornerback prospect. I agree with you. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up last thing kind of about these guys that we talked about, just go back quickly to um, the wide receivers. I do think that there's a conversation for a few wide receivers here. Um, you know, right. I only mentioned Malik, but there's a couple other guys. For yeah, sure. I think a lot of people have Keon Coleman as their top guy, and he's somebody who we mm-hmm. mentioned in our first episode, but didn't make our top five list and really should have looking back on it, especially because of how high Brugler was on him. But he's been a freak for uh for Florida State. I think Brugler comped him to Demarius Thomas. He's just a big athletic wide receiver he's like a true x who's been absolutely tearing it up this year he hasn't exactly been like the uh you know like the pff stud that uh but he's been a very good it shows up on tape and then um the other guy roma dunze you know he's a guy that we expressed some concerns about really just because he wasn't a contested catch guy and he was a big big wide receiver and that really felt that some should be something that's part of his game and the, the he was not a guy that data liked but it's been the exact opposite this year data loves him. data loves him now he yeah. has a 68.4 contested catch rate which is absolutely insane and he's good everywhere and the data data loves him um so those are you know he's a little bit older he's a fourth year but he's um not that old but obviously older than the other two uh so but those two definitely deserve some talk but personally for me it's Malik neighbors yeah i think i think personally neighbors is my career number two i think there are holes you can punch in the game of the other guys less so in odunze in my opinion than in, in coleman i agree um but uh, the way they play this year but i think neighbors is just a plug and play guy who i think quickly emerges to be a wide receiver one in the nfl and one thing um, one thing i wanted to point yeah. out as well with their sides and i'll come back here where we have plenty of episodes to talk about this and i'll try to pull the numbers i've noticed from a lot of the analytics guys there's a lot of fantasy guys who do a lot of analytics for wide receivers because i was obviously a big thing with fantasy football dynasty so i've i get some good information from them on wide receivers one thing that a lot of them look at heavily is yards per route run that's like a, something they rely yep. on heavily and you can see when they pull up the top guys you know in college football history and i'll get that list for you guys it's some crazy names up there malik neighbors has 3.79 yards per route run that's fucking insane that is not like 90 is that like 99 like percentile all time it's or gotta like be because like i'm yeah like i i remember i've seen a lot of two eights like low threes that are like like holy shit like i don't know maybe maybe i'm a little bit off maybe there's a low four or something i'm not thinking of but like this has got to be one of the highest that i've ever seen um can i can i go through some malik neighbors i know we're getting late on this pod but go, this is just fun recap it. of some of the guys we got over so he's got a 92.5 overall pff grade 
or 19.7 actually, 3.79 yards route yards for route run, which is probably the most important stat there that you mentioned. It's off the charts. 45% contested catch rate, um, which is pretty good for a guy who's not just a pure X receiver. That's yep. actually solid for the way very, he plays. It's very solid. 5.9% drop rate. That's fine. That's actually on the low side. It's 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 respectable. 89.4 grade versus man coverage. He has five total drops. He has played 203 uh, snaps in the slot and 184 out wide. So he's all he's playing all over the field. He's got 80 receptions and 115 targets, 1,423 yards, 12 touchdowns, 17.8 yards per reception, an average depth of target of 12.8. He has forced 25 missed tackles that, that's as my a favorite. wide receiver. That's one of my favorite numbers. That's fourth in the country. I love guys who can for, mi, force missed tackles. And he has 18 deep catches, which is best in the country. He has 603 deep yards, which is second best in the country. And he has 878 yards in the slot, despite all that, which is eighth in the country. So he's dominating the slot. He's dominating outside. And he's forcing missed tackles, which means he's dominating over the middle. He's dominating at every level of the field. Yeah, let's. I mean, let's not like get twisted here. He has 203 sl- slot snaps and 184 wide snaps. He's almost... He's- He's like a 60-40 split, something like that. Like, he does both. He does everything. He's a do-it-all wide receiver. He is in the mold of, you know, I hate using, you know, you shouldn't use this, but he's in the Justin Jefferson mold. He's an amazing route runner. He lines up all over the field. They're both LSU guys. Um, and he just does everything. He, he forces he fits, his tackles. He wins on the outside. He fits the modern-day wide receiver. He used to look for guys like Keon Coleman. That used to be the mold. That was the type of guy you look for. That's not the guys I look for anymore. I look for the, you know, guys who are around six foot and are just twitched up route runners. And that's what Malik Neighbors is. Malik Neighbors is everything I look for in a wide receiver. Would it shock you to if after five years you look back and Malik Neighbors had the better NFL career than Marvin Harrison Jr. Would that shock you at the five-year point? No, I I don't. It wouldn't shock me. Um, I, I I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked because he's I, that he's be, he's that good. I wouldn't. I I'll tell you why I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked because I don't think it's because Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't live up to his potential. I think it's because Malik mm-hmm. Neighbors ended up being a top three wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah. I can see that. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. I'm not saying at all that Marvin Harrison Jr. will be. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a very safe bet to be a top receiver in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I just think Malik Neighbors, he does everything, like you said, as a modern NFL receiver. Where in these, he can line up anywhere, and he's a nightmare for defenses to deal with. And he's become an elite route runner. He's become an incredible guy after the catch. He's become a great guy down the sideline on contested catches. Yeah, you know, he, he's very difficult to guard. And I can see him just being a mess. And so... Like th- that's why my answer was Malik Neighbors. To be clear, when you asked me who would I take at five, at the end of the day, all the guys we discussed that we went on for a while about, at the end of the day, I would actually take Malik Neighbors. Yep, I agree with you. And like as much as I said, like I w- I would take a verse for me to move off Marvin Harrison Jr. just because I think he's that safe and he's he's just he's just a freak show. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. fits like the generational freak show mold, but. Malik Neighbors fits just the ideal modern day wide receiver mold. They're 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 different, but they're both gonna be I'm confident right. I think I'm confident the Malik Na- Go ahead. Malik Neighbors upside, I think, is like one of the top wide receivers of his generation. Um 
well, why top wide receivers of his time in the NFL? Like where yeah, he's consistently he can be like a top consistent five. top five, exactly. Right, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s upside is one of the top wide receivers in the history of the NFL. Yeah, he can be um, a top five all time. Like right, that that's the difference between the two. So that doesn't mean he's going to be a better player, but it but his upside is different. It's it's, right. it's just different. All right, I think we've gone through that in an exhaustive fashion. We did. Of all the different scenarios. But I think this is the conversation that we don't want to have, but that we might have to start thinking about depending on what happens the rest of the year. But one way to look at it is Joe Shane's still going to have options. It's not, a, it's not a crisis mode if you don't get a top two pick, but it's going to require a lot of uh, ingenuity and a lot of deep thought process and a lot of game theory from, you know, from Joe Shane to manage a non-top two pick. But that is our episode for this week. You can, um, I'm going to let you close it out, Monty. I know we want to talk about some college football games, um, but why don't you give us your closing thoughts and tell us about the games you're watching? Yep. So um, I'll let you get into the games, but I just want to plug real quick. Um, make sure to follow Sal at Queens underscore guy on Twitter. Make sure to follow me at Monte Cristo. M-O-N-T-E-C-R-I-5-T-O. Make sure to follow the pod on Twitter um, at He's a Giant Pod. Subscribe, like, you know, rate us five stars if you're listening on audio. Uh, but we, we appreciate all that you guys have done for the show. You guys have really blown us up the last couple episodes. So thank you guys so much. And like Sal said, you know, welcome to all our new viewers and listeners really appreciate it. but uh what do you and, got for college and games? please and please reach out to us for ideas because we have a lot of uh we have a lot of slots to fill between now and draft day and we have some pretty cool ideas but i think we are definitely open to people's suggestions at this point if you have players you want to tell us about we're going to be going back and looking at some guys in different positions so if you have anything to tell us please reach out to us on twitter dm us whatever you guys want to do um talking about this week's game it's it's a rivalry weekend for, and, you know, we got some good ones here. The big one, let's start there, is Ohio State-Michigan. The game's in Ann Arbor. It's the Saturday 12 o'clock game. This is the must-watch. This is two days after Thanksgiving. You hopefully have some leftover something. I'm not a turkey guy. Mm -hmm. I tell my kids who are small, I tell them that we're making turkey, but I just make two chickens. And <laughs> they can... Like I like with everything else, they can talk to a therapist about it later. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, hopefully, you have some leftovers and stuffing, and you're enjoying yourself watching this game. This is the big one. You don't want to miss this game if you guys are at home on Saturday. If you're Ohio State, Michigan. If you're interested in JJ McCarthy, this is the must-watch game. He's he's apparently been hurt, and we're hearing that he's healthy this week and feeling good. Um, you have not gotten much from the evaluation like you wanted to. This needs to be where we get an evaluation the win jj mccarthy and not just that just from a college football perspective like the winner of this game ohio state's the two seed nationally michigan's the three seed the winner of this game is going to the college football playoff the loser very well may be on the outside looking in so this is to get into the college football semifinals for the most part have a shot at the national title and there's a lot of prospects in these games we have gone over a ton of michigan and ohio state players so in Michigan, I'll just recap them. J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. Uh, we didn't go over Roman Wilson, but, but you guys should keep an eye out for him, the wide receiver. Um, on def Zach Zinter, the, the, the lineman, all five of their linemen can be drafted, but we only went over Zinter. On the defensive side for Michigan, um, Chris Jenkins, the defensive lineman, 
Junior Colson, the linebacker, Rod Moore, the safety. They have other players that are definitely draftable that are on that team, but there are a ton of Michigan prospects that we review personally that you can go over. On the Ohio State side of the ball, you've got uh, their running back, Travion Henderson, um, one of the top running backs in the country. You've got Donovan Jackson, uh, their left guard. You've got Cade Stover, their tight end. Um, obviously, the receivers, you have Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, um who am I missing on offense? Am I missing anybody else on offense? Um, I think they have a tackle that's good. I'm, I'm, uh, on the defensive side, you've got Michael Hall. Although I don't, I don't know if he's declaring, but um, yeah, we'll see. You know, the defense, the defensive lineman, um, and you know, a guy who's really stepped up this year is Jakey Tumaloa, their their edge rusher. So is Jack uh, who's really and so is Jack Clare. These guys, we, they were our our guys, if you remember, uh, in the edge room where we were like these guys have the potential they're five-star recruits they could do something they stepped up big this year and they've pushed themselves into first and second round consideration as edge rushers yep um uh and let me see who am i missing on their side of the ball well their their cornerback who we excuse me we didn't we didn't review i um i don't know why i'm blanking on his name um but they have several prospects that you can absolutely follow um i think denzel their safety also denzel burke and their safety is somebody we reviewed um, and their linebacker, right? Their their middle linebacker. Yeah. Um. Not not Eichenberg. Yeah, Tommy Eichenberg. Yeah. Um, and then so, and then Rant, ransom at uh, and safety. ransom is a safety that we reviewed. So a lot of prospects that we went over in this game. This is this is for all the marbles in the Big Ten. This is the game to watch. If you watch only one Big Ten game a year, it should be Ohio State Michigan. <laughs> to to put to put it into perspective, how big this game is. Um, the second highest low low price for tickets for a game this week is Alabama Auburn. Always probably the best best game and one of the best games of college football. You know that one is one ninety seven. The lowest ticket for Ohio State Michigan four fifty six. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh. So Auburn Alabama is another one you can watch. Uh, although Auburn hasn't been wonderful this year. Yep. Um, there's a couple other good games to watch. I mean, I've always liked the Pac twelve games. Especially now that there's not going to be any more Pac-12. Um, Washington State, Washington with Cam Ward versus Michael Penix Jr. And some of those prospects in Washington, including Roma Dunes, uh, McMillan, Polk, um, Braylon Trice on defense, uh, Troy uh, Troy Pamela, Troy Fountainow, excuse me, the mm-hmm. left tackle. I'm really tired uh, for Washington. Good prospects there. Washington State obviously has Cam Ward. And they also have the safety that we have followed that we really liked. Um, and Florida, Florida state is another uh, rivalry game. Florida state has a ton of prospects. Unfortunately, Jordan Travis, we reviewed as our quarterback 10 had a gruesome leg injury. After I shut out, he's Travis. You made fun of him. And then his, the poor guy's leg fell off. It was awful to watch. Uh, I think Florida state's national title hopes went up in smoke that day, unfortunately, but they have a ton of good prospects. Um, and I don't know if there's any other games you're, you're eyeing, but the one I wanted to mention is Friday. You have Oregon, Oregon state. So, you know, to get a Friday game there at eight 30, that one's a lot of good ones. You got, um, you know, we mentioned DJ Ugalele as like a sleeper quarterback. Bo Nix is obviously a top quarterback. You got Troy Franklin as a, as a top, um, wide receiver. You got, um, was it a Fuaga, the, tackle from Oregon State. You got Jaden Hicks. 
Mm-hmm. Jaden Hicks. Jaden Hicks, a safety from Oregon State. He's yeah. actually had a very good year. Yeah, yeah, um, you got a you got a lot of good players from from this uh, from these teams. Um, Bucky Irving, my, that was my favorite running back in this class. Um, so, a lot of good players. Right, right. So, so rivalry weekend. Load up on your leftovers. Uh, I think we'll stop there. We've given you two hours more of stuff to listen to on That's your always. board. Uh, uh, but we did this early, so you guys could hopefully listen in either do, before or during your Thanksgiving break. Hope you guys have a very happy and peaceful Thanksgiving with your family. I'm sure we'll see you guys around. Um, go Patriots. <laughs> yeah, I was like, go Giants? <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Go Tank. I can't believe I said it. Go Tank. Yeah. We, we need to lose this game. We need to lose this game. Uh, if we win this game, it's going to be all of the crazy scenarios we just talked about, which are no fun. So go tank. Go tank. See you next week. You guys have a very good night. We'll see you next week.